Okay, members, I'll just declare the meeting open in the room. With me today, I have Fran McCann, Andy Allen, the Vice Chair Kelly Armstrong, and Alex Easton. And at the moment, on Starleaf, we have Sinead Innes and Mark Durkin. So you are all very welcome to the room today. First item agenda is apologies. Item agenda number one, we don't have any apologies. I'll move on to chairperson's business. And um, can I offer a warm welcome to Alex Easton, who is our new member of the committee. Alex, I believe, sat on the old DSD committee many, many moons ago. Um, so it's good to have you back and good to have that experience as well. You've been around a long time, so it's good to have you with us. Um, can I just then also, um, uh, if the, uh, the committee would agree, send a letter to Jonathan Buckley just to thank him for his contribution um, that he made to committee and wish him well on health committee. Members yeah. agreed? Yeah, agreed. Okay, I just also want to update members, just a quick update on the chairperson's liaison group on Tuesday that I attended, um, just to let members know that uh, we have to vacate um, the meeting room for 1.20 now is the time, okay. and that goes for all, all committees that are in um, morning sessions, whether that's a, a Wednesday or a Thursday, um, 1.20 is the very latest. So just to keep that in mind, members, um, whenever we've got witnesses in, over the, especially over the coming weeks, whenever we start looking at the, the licensing bill. Okay, then we'll move on to agenda item three, which is the draft minutes. You'll find those at page six of your pack. Are members content with the minutes of the 22nd of October 2020 as drafted? Yep. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed, thank you. Um, no hands up, no. Okay, agenda item four is matters arising. Members, this is quite a long one, so bear with mm. me. You've been provided at page 16 with a reply from the Finance Minister to the committee queries on the impact of COVID-19 on local councils. Are members content to note or have any comments on that, Kelly? Um, do you know, I was looking at this and I could feel the disappointment for Solus. Um, I was wondering if we should write to Solus to ask them um, for an update on their plan B, because they a lot of what they were talking about was predicated on having rates set for a period of time. Um, this obviously isn't going to happen, so if we could maybe ask them what's next. Okay, yep, I agree. Members agree with that, yes, yep. Okay, any other members want to make comment on that first item? No? All right, I'll move on then to page 18, where you'll find a reply from the Finance Minister um, of queries raised during a recent briefing by Niffle. Again, are members content with that or any comments they want to make? Nope, all content with that. Yep. Okay, then moving on then to page 19 of your pack, uh, you have a reply from the Finance Minister to the Committee Queries on the High Street Vacancy Strategy. Again, members, any comments? Are they content to note that also? Agreed. All content? Okay, then moving to page 20, you'll see a reply from the Finance Minister to Queries raised by NIPSA on the Job Support Scheme. Again, members, um, any comments? And would they be happy then that we copy that response to NIPSA for their information? Mm -hmm. Yes, agreed? Yes, agreed. Great, thank you. Okay, moving on to page 21, there's a ministerial reply to the queries raised during the recent NIFL briefing on the impact of COVID-19 on local football. Again, members, are they content to note that? Kelly, go ahead. Yes, sorry, thank you, Chair. Um, I was actually wondering, should we write to Sport NI to ask for an update on how the grants are being issued and, and who has got what, um, just so we can see? Because I know that we'll probably be contacted by football clubs and it would be good to know how that's being rolled out. Yeah, I think that's a good idea in the first instance that we ask them for a written briefing and then if necessary we might have to um, pull them in at some stage for a, an oral briefing. Um, members content with that also or members content then that we copy that reply to Niffle for their information mm. also? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right, all agreed. 
Mm -hmm. uh -huh. All right. Then we'll move on to page 23 of your pack, and it's a departmental update on the COVID-19 recovery revitalisation programme. Mm -hmm. Again, can I ask members, are they content to note, or do they have any comments on that? Kelly? Sorry, Chair, there was a lot to read this week. Um, it would be useful, we've got quite a detailed breakdown of what councils have received. It would be useful to know from those councils what the money has been spent on. Um, and I'm interested to see how much administration fee the councils are able to claim back from the, those amounts of money um, so we can do a comparison across the country. Okay, absolutely. Members could agree with that also, yes? Okay, thank you. Then we're going to move on, then as page 27, and there's a departmental le letter on COVID-19 funding bids as part of the delayed October monitoring round. Again, I'm going to ask members, have they any comment? Are they content to note? Mm. Content Support. to note? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, members, at the meeting of the 22nd of October, a query was released <coughs> into the IFA potentially building a training facility at the site of the old Avenue Leisure Centre. Departmental policy officials have advised that they are not aware of any such plans, haven't spoken to the operational manager at the IFA. Andy, you're looking at me bewildered. <laughs> Do you want to make a comment on that? Yeah, I, th I think there's maybe a bit of confusion in respect to that. There is a facility being built at the moment um, by um, Belfast City Council, mm -hmm. which is aimed towards sporting excellence, but I don't think that they as I understand it, have any involvement. I think, if I recall rightly, Robin had raised a query at what um, relationship could be built on that, and Rob, Robin's just come in, so we can obviously speak. I know, I'll tell Rob, if he wants to sit down, I'll tell him what we're talking about. Um, it was a, a, the, a, to do with the old Alvin A. Leisure Centre, there was a query raised, um, I can't remember, I think it was when the IFA yeah. were in briefness, there was a query raised about Alvin A. The department have come back and advised that they are not aware of any such plans, having spoken to the operational manager of the IFA. Um, Andy's just told us that it's, that it's Belfast City Council that, and, and some sporting excellence. Uh, can you shed any more light on that? Well, that's my understanding, Chair, that uh, the Avenil uh, was uh, a general leisure centre, that uh, including swimming pool, squash courts, the usual, but now has, is being converted as a centre of excellence. That may not be the right word but uh, is basically devoted to uh, football, um, football teams, hire, coaching, the usual sort of stuff. It's a process of being built at the moment. Okay, Andy? Yeah, it, it's, it's just part. So Belfast City Council, obviously, and I think they're, they're looking at their wider functions, leisure functions right across Belfast. Um, in the east of the city, there was three, the three different leisure provisions, Tapmore Avenue, Lisnashara and Avenue. And I think if I remember rightly, not to speak for Robin in last meeting, you'd, you'd asked a question, Robin, around could there be a relationship between the IFA and Avenue, given that this is going to be predominantly aimed towards football? I think that's where that stemmed from. I, I think that's a natural thing, Chair. Um, if it is going to be a centre of excellence, that, uh, that's the direction you would head so in. So we are encouraging them, Belfast City, Council then to work along with the, the IFA to progress that further or what way do you, do you want us I mean we can do another action on this I think you, you wouldn't want uh, I suppose Chair you wouldn't want something which was totally exclusive yeah. want to ensure that uh, that, that uh, all those who are interested in uh, sporting excellence, uh, footing, football in particular, uh, have an opportunity to use it um, and that no one would be excluded but I mean, I think Belfast City. Well, you would remember from your time there, the leisure. So you said that as if I was very, very old. 
Well, of course, that's very experienced. Pleasure Brad, started you started about twenty years ago, <laughs> uh, and, and it's sort of now uh, the outworkings of it. But uh, I mean, the council can very easily answer the question, Chair. Okay, that's grand. Fred, do you want to no, make a comment? I think, uh, I think not that long ago there was a, uh, a number of guys were running a, a thing for football for excellence in the East City uh, a, a few years ago. Matter of fact, I think Seamus Lynch's son uh, was one of the guys was uh, tied up in it. And I always thought it was a waste. You know, when you give, especially in some of the, the highly desirable leisure centres that the council is building uh, at, uh, at the minute, wise, uh, you don't have a centre taking on a different aspect of sport. Okay, you can have it all under the one uh, roof, but sometimes it makes sense if you have of the the. And I, I had actually raised it last week uh, with with soccer guys uh, in relation to uh, and, and, and the one on Butcher Road and about the connection between Linfield and that and 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 and, and so on. So uh, we, we keep that in mind, you know, so it may make sense uh, that if, say for talk's sake, you had an Anderson's town uh, that was gymnastic, you had an Avenue that was soccer, and you, 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 spread, you spread it about. It may, may push, you may have a lot of kids. One of the things that and, uh, I remember us discussing this, going back in the council days, one of the things that had always concerned me uh, in council, you always heard about these guys coming over, soccer scouts, uh, they came over and they knew somebody uh, who uh, was involved in a local club and that was their, 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 their limits. Were a big, big lot of kids uh, uh, from right across uh, didn't get a look in and lost out in opportunities. And it would be good if you had somewhere there that allowed that so that if, if there were people coming over uh, from wherever, then they got the opportunity to, to see all the kids uh, at the, uh, certainly at their, their, their full capacity in terms of training yeah. and things. So yeah. maybe okay. it, it wouldn't be a bad idea if we asked for just a breakdown of what, what the intention is. Yeah. Of Avenue, do you mean? Or? Of Avenue. Okay, members, have Sinead waiting to come in as well? If we just let Sinead come in then, and then um, we'll decide our way forward. Sinead, go ahead. Thank you, Chair. Uh, no, Fran made the pointer at the end there. I think the best way to resolve this is just to write to Belfast City Council and ask them if they could outline to us what their intentions is with Avenue. Okay. Sinead, thank you for that. Um, so, uh, Andy, did you yeah, want to make another comment? I have, I have the plans of Avenue from Council, so I can forward that on the members. But okay. Um, Remember, yeah. if we want to write that, <coughs> I'm aware of what they're doing. There has been a constituency MLA, so I'm very, very aware of it. I can provide that to members if they wish. Okay, thanks for that, Andy. And then I think then our action out of this finally is to write to Belfast City Council and just ask, uh, as Sinead said, what their plan is. Are members in agreement with that? Can we move on from this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then I want then members, um, if you can move then to your paper, uh, tabled paper, and that is from the Minister for Communities on the next steps in tackling the Housing Executive Investment Challenge in line with um, New Decade, New Approach commitments. This paper formed the basis of her statement to the Assembly on Tuesday. Um, can I then again ask members, are there any comments on that, or are they content to note that? I know we that was thoroughly um, debated in the Chamber on Tuesday. I'm very welcome, I have to say. It was a very good statement also. Um, but any comments on that or content to note? For, go ahead, yeah, I think, Chair, I don't, I don't know whether the Minister is scheduled to come to the, the Committee or not. Um, but certainly, if, if we're on the next occasion that, in fact, 
I think this is such an important statement, Chair. So, so significant uh, in, in terms of what uh, might happen. And it's, it just doesn't have implications for the housing executive. It has implications for all of the housing associations at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously uh, has, has potential implications for the public purse uh, as well. So in really in terms of, I think it is of such significance that we might want to have the minister uh, visit, they come to, yeah. uh, Zoom or whatever, uh, just so that we have an opportunity to, to question. I was a little bit perturbed, Chair, I have to say, when the Minister announced the statement and then immediately announced the three areas that she was intending to invest in. Uh, I'm sure we can all take the Minister to areas in, in our own constituencies that uh, have, have a, a severe housing need. But um, so for all of those reasons, the chair, I think it would be uh, welcome if the minister would agree to uh, attend the committee, wherever that attendance is, uh, and to answer questions around the. the okay. The no, I I'm, I think that's a really good point. I think it was such a significant statement, and you know, uh, it's going to make a real a real difference in years to come. For, for social housing here in Northern Ireland. Um, I know that those three areas you talk about, you talk about ring fencing, and I suppose I, I don't want to, uh, all politics is local, one of those areas is North Belfast, and I understand the reason why, but I absolutely understand from other members that there's housing stress and housing need throughout all of our constituencies, so I absolutely get that as well. I have Kelly, then I have Fra. Yeah, thank you very much. I think Robin's idea is a good one. I think that we do need to have the minister in front of us. Um, as, as Robin has said, it, it's a cross-cutting theme, and while it was a fantastic statement and the aims and objectives I can fully support, then we now need to get into the detail of it as a committee. For instance, there are certain targets that we have for Northern Ireland that this strategy can help us to get to. So, for instance, we should be looking at the style and design of future builds to make sure that they're going to be um, working towards zero emissions. Um, we need to... I had asked the Minister in the Chamber about um, the, the executive target for shared housing. She talked about mixed tenure but not shared housing and I'm a bit concerned that if we talk about building communities and, and sort of separation from the targets that we've already set then, then we're not actually future building. Um, so there are a number of questions there and I think as a committee that, that we need to be aware of what other targets that the housing can contribute towards to ensure that we're, we're working together with the, with the Minister on that. Great statement. Um, <coughs> it was a good day for the Minister in the Chamber, but um, yeah, there's there's a few details that we need to talk about with her. Okay, thanks Kelly. Fra? Sure, yes, and I, I'm sure obviously the Minister can speak for herself, certainly on, on, on what uh, Robin has said, but uh, it was only 10 years ago that the, the whole question of ring fencing was removed uh, by an SDLP minister uh, back back in the, 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 the day. And what it did is the theory is that the minister mentioned yesterday, uh, with the theory is that, uh, that, that, that lost the right to uh, ring, ring fencing. And I think she's just addressed, she, what she's doing is she's addressing something uh, that the, 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 the areas of highest demand have lost out too over, over, over the, the, those years. So it's not that she's just come up, uh, up with us off the top of her head. She's just addressing something that was has been there and had been removed, removed all those years ago. Okay, uh, thank you. Okay, Fra, thank you. Alex? Yeah, um, I find this statement extremely exciting. And to be fair, it's probably the best statement I've seen in a long time. Yeah, that's good. Um, but 
Uh, I'd be keen to see how this will affect building of <coughs> in the housing associations. Will it have an impact there? Because obviously I'd like to see them building at the same time if the housing executive were going to do it. Um, so I'd be keen to see there's no impact there. But you know, I'd, I'd love to see them both building more houses at the same time, if you know what I mean. Um, there's no impact on one or the other, if you know what I mean. Okay, no, I think um, all of those are, are good, valid points, and I think that's exactly why we need the Minister in front of us, I suppose, then, to uh, explain and to answer some questions on that. I do know that there are conversations happening going on between committee clerks and the Minister for her to come in and brief us, um, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Um, so uh, we will put in a request again and that we want uh, to, to her to brief us and for us to get... Um, an opportunity to ask some more questions um, because I know the statement is great and it was it was a good it was good and I was allowed a little bit of latitude in my four questions from the speaker thankfully. But I suppose you got most of it the day before. Yeah, and the minister was very good. She met with the committee clerk and myself the, the day before to go through what was going to be in the statement, which was you know doesn't happen often with a lot of ministers, but I'm very glad of that. But no, um, we'll do that. Andy, you want to make a point just yeah, before sure. we go off that? You know, obviously echo uh, colleagues' um, comments. I, I wasn't in the, the chamber yesterday uh, for the statement, or on, on, on Tuesday. Um, positive statement, but for me it raises more more uh, questions and answers, um, which is natural. Um, so it is important that we as a committee scrutinise that and scrutinise every approach that's going to be taken uh, in respect to this. And, and as Alex and, and Robin has pointed out and, and others, um, the, the relationship that uh, any new body the Houghton Executive will form will have in relation to Houghton Associations, and it isn't uh, counterproductive to what we're, we're trying to achieve. And the other sort of uh, point of clarification I would like to seek, Chair, um, you'll recall probably um, when Paul Price was in with us, he had indicated, and I know members have picked this up with him, that we didn't um, uh, achieve our, our, our housing target, our, mm -hmm. our new start target, um, due to COVID, understandably. And I'd asked the minister, and she said, you know, that she would give that commitment, but just to, that we keep an eye on that to make sure that those thousand uh, new starts that didn't come online in, in the previous financial year that we're not going to lose out on those, and making sure that that they they do come online. So if we can get any more information in respect to that, I know it's slightly um, separate to the statement. Yeah, but it's all connected, though. No, absolutely. Fred, do you want to come yeah, again sure. there? And I say, uh, the point that is a good point. I think we have an opportunity here. Uh, and, uh, not like in the past, the ministers came in, they give you a speech and, and left. Uh, Carl uh, has a good handle on uh, what, 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 uh, what, what is happening in the, in the general uh, housing field in all its many different aspects. And I think that uh, if we are meeting on a, a regular basis and being part of the whole process of shipping uh, what is to come then, it, it could be a good working relationship uh, and, 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 and what, what is happening. Because I know that uh, that you were saying about housing associations and I think that, that there are many arguments and debates that we have in here on housing associations and it, it stopped at the door. And I think so of opportunities there. There's a course that's been laid out uh, by the minister, and uh, what she says she's a revolving door attitude uh, towards it. So what we we think what we can't do is to think because what if, what affects other it affects all of our areas and how we pick up on it, not least the, the serious problems in the round intimidation points, the serious problems in the round the private rented sector. And uh, so I think we, we, we do have the opportunity here of, uh, of uh, 
getting so I thought that I, didn't, I, I wasn't up on, 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 on Tuesday but uh, from what I heard on the radio it was or on the TV it was actually quite good but exciting as you say <coughs> No I think we can leave that there I think it's a, an excellent idea that we, we get the Minister in to brief us on this it's, it's the biggest thing to happen within the social housing sector in a number of years um, so therefore I think you're absolutely right that it needs to be teased out just a little bit more um, and, um, and some of our questions answered um, delay some of those fears that some people have as well, albeit it is exciting and it's something we want to see progress yeah. um, but there's always questions to ask OK members, can we move on from that subject if they're happy? Mm-hmm. I'm going to invite the, the Minister in then OK, they're going to move on then to agenda item 5 which is a briefing by We Make Events Happen on the impact of COVID-19 in the events sector <coughs> Um, members, if you could turn to page 31 of your meeting, or, sorry, your tabled papers. And can I welcome then to the meeting um, Sean Pagel, who's the regional lead in We Make Events Happen. Hello, Sean, you're very welcome um, to the meeting today. Um, and I know that you had uh, written to me on several occasions and probably to most of the members within this committee. Um, and I think it's good that we get to hear from your sector as well uh, as just to how uh, COVID has affected you. So, Sean, if you could go ahead and give us a, give us your briefing. Yes, good morning, Chair. Uh, good morning, committee members. Thanks for, uh, for having us along. Um, hopefully you can hear me all right. I'm getting a message about my microphone level. Is everything okay? Everything's spot on, Sean. Uh, sure, sure. Okay. Um, yes, I, we make events. I, I just have one slight correction, Chair. There is, a, there is an organisation in, uh, in England called We Make Events Happen. Um, that's not us. We are the, the regional uh, the regional group representing We Make Events, which is a, a, a larger sort of global um, body. Um, aside from that, we we represent the events sector um, across all over the UK, but specifically we make events in Ireland, are representative of the events industry within Northern Ireland. Um, obviously, as, as happened with the rest of the, the world, effectively in March, we, uh, we closed it down because of COVID. Uh, the events industry was certainly the, one of the first to close, um, and it, it's perceived that it will certainly be the last to open, or one of the last to reopen again. Uh, the entire industry came to standstill. Uh, to date, we've had no indication whatsoever of when we're going to be allowed to open again. Um, the announcements such as today with the, the recommendation of further two weeks, for example, on our own um, restrictions with hospitality, etc. Um, all other sectors have had some kind of return, they've all been allowed to return to, to some extent at some point during this, uh, this period since March. That's not been the case for events. Um, uh, between venues being mandated to close and then the, the live music ban as well, uh, there just isn't any any uh, scope for for us to be able to, to open and, and no uh, no indications, no guidance uh, whatsoever on when we're going to be able to open again. Um, within Northern Ireland, we have a workforce of, of uh, around seven and a half thousand people involved in events, and by events, I'm not just talking about. Uh, music. I'm not just talking about theatre. Uh, anything, any happening, we're we're uh, registered as an event. So we represent those from theatre. We represent venues. But within we make events, we have representatives from all strands of, this, uh, of 
of the sector, um, including, for example, wedding organizers, corporate event organizers, corporate event supply companies, um, uh, as well as the, the supply chain um, companies to do uh, venues, so lighting companies, sound companies, rigging companies, uh, audiovisual, etc. Um, uh, while, the, while the mandate has been to close venues and to, to, to prevent live music that events from happening, a lot of the companies in the background who supply that aren't, aren't receiving support and to date haven't received support. Um, this has been recognised across the whole of the UK. Um, as I said, with We Make Events, We Make Events came together at the start of August. We Make Events NI was put together sort of at the end of, of August. Um, and we've been we've been reaching out. We have five asks to Westminster, and um, and I have to say, uh, with every engagement that, that I or any of our members within We Make Events have had with members of the executive or um, MLAs or any of our Northern Irish MPs, we've had a, a really really positive responses. They've been very very supportive of, uh, of everything that we said. Um, we make events held a, a, an event, if you like, on the 25th of September uh, to show the numbers, to show the, the, the quantity of people that this, that this touched. And we had at the time over 500 people uh, gathering in Custom Square in Belfast. It was a socially distanced event, it was 100% uh, COVID compliant. DFC knew about it because we had to, we had to obviously book Custom House Square, PSNI knew about it. It was it was handled risk assessment and managed correctly. Um, and immediately after that, myself and another member of uh, of We Make Events uh, shot up then to Dennis uh, to, to go and see First Minister Arlene Foster. And First Minister as well was was very very helpful. So um, so as far as Northern Irish engagement goes, our our uh, our, our powers that be yourselves have been very supportive. So we do thank you for that. Um, we, within the, the We Make Events um, group itself, we have five, what we call our five asks. And our five asks are uh, one, that, uh, that we can get proper insurance to cover against uh, COVID-19 related closures. Uh, that, that would give confidence to event organisers that if their, uh, if their event was closed because of a local lockdown, for example, they would, they would be insured for the, the costs on that show. It would also mean that uh, ticket buyers could get uh, refunds um, or, or be fair. Um, the second uh, ask is, uh, is one that we've been doing a lot of work on within uh, We Make Events. Um, and that is government uh, support for uh, for widespread proactive testing for event attendees. Um, as, as everybody I'm sure on the table is aware, that PCR testing that happens is uh, is flawed and takes quite a while to happen. Uh, we make events happen working with a with a rapid testing ICG now testing company, <laughs> and we're we're uh, we're working on ways for that to move on. Um, we, we're, our third uh, ask is, is for a three-year extension to the lowered VAT rate on uh, event tickets when we're allowed to bring events back again. Um, and that's just to really uh, bring the cost out essentially and to, to uh, pull the public back in to go into events. Obviously at the moment we can't do events, so these, these three asks are, are a little bit theoretical until we're able to return. 
But in the interim, we've, we've been asking from day one for fair and proportionate grants and not loans made to businesses in the event supply chain. Um, you're aware that the CRF came out in England with £1.57 billion that the, that the government uh, applied to the, the cultural sector, and we received the £33 million that is uh, through the borrow consequential. Um, the reason that we ask for fair and proportionate grants is that um, the, the payouts have already happened in England and, and we've seen the, the, the level of um, financial support that's going to companies of certain sizes, for example, and we just want to be sure that here in Northern Ireland, um, companies of similar or larger sizes are given uh, the same commercial advantage effectively that the English companies are being given and we, we want to make sure that a company, for example, with a turnover of £2 million in England, which received £250,000 of grant dealing, uh, no, sorry, grant funding, um, is that going to be mirrored in Northern Ireland? Is a company of £2 million turnover going to get a similar sort of payout or, or whatever? So that, that's been the ask with that. Um, we've also been asking for a specific job support scheme for the, the live event supply chain until we're able to open again. Uh, again, uh, this is an ever-changing face that we're in because of the, the COVID-19 restrictions and the extension, uh, for example, of furlough. So um, we have been asking for months for something like the extension of furlough. Obviously, Westminster and the Treasury have been coming back saying absolutely no, there will be no furlough. So many people lost their jobs on Friday past or made redundant because companies just simply couldn't afford to keep uh, those positions open. And then on Saturday night, the announcement was made to extend furlough, and, uh, and it, for so many, it just felt very unfair, and, uh, and it felt like a move made by government who really don't care and don't listen. So um, within Northern Ireland, uh, as I said, we, we have a, a workforce of some seven and a half thousand people. Uh, we have a GVA uh, contribution of £487 million per year. The, the industry and the sector that we're in is a very worthwhile sector, it's a very profitable sector. Um, we, we are very concerned um, that there, there would be quite dire consequences for the support not being available and not being sustained and maintained for our sector. Um, the, we're very proud of the, the fact that in Northern Ireland we have a very uh, well-placed and well-established throughout the UK and indeed throughout Europe um, reputation for the standard of work that we deliver, the standard of events that we can uh, host and that, that's been um, that has grown, for example, since 2000, whenever we got the SSA Arena, and that, that's brought bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger shows to Northern Ireland. And we've been able to service them, and we've been able to service them locally. If our, uh, if our funding doesn't match, for example, the funding that the UK, or sorry, the English companies specifically, um, receive, then, then we run the threat of Northern Irish companies no longer being able to operate or provide those services. And this is not just a Northern Irish issue, it is today for what I'm saying, but, but my counterpart in Wales uh, was telling me that, for example, they've received £53 million pounds, uh, through their consequential um, and their funding has been capped at £150,000. So two companies who, uh, who operate both in England, but one is based in Wales, the other is based in England, one received £943,000 of a, of a grant and the Welsh company uh, is limited to £150,000. So that there's, there's an unfair uh, balance 
funds from there, and we're keen to make sure that similar doesn't happen in Northern Ireland. Um, the, the latest stability and renewal program is very welcome, um, and I think that that's going to help a lot of organisations um, both within Northern Ireland and within the sector. Uh, the fear being that there's 7.75 million pounds within that uh, within that pot for that, that program, uh, with with caps of 500,000 pounds, which effectively would, if, ever, if if companies were given that 500,000 pounds each, that means it would help 15 companies. I appreciate that it will be split down uh, a lot more than that, but um, there will be quite a demand we imagine on that that seven and three quarter million pounds. Um, we're, we're very concerned that Westminster have not allocated enough money to, uh, to Northern Ireland. Um, there, there are a number of uh, other aid uh, and funding opportunities out there which we're aware of, but we're also very aware that there are still um, the, the newly self-employed here are still left out. Um, the, the, uh, the corporate sector, those who, who um, who you will have come across in the past to uh, offer the, the technical services for uh, even for party political uh, uh, conferences, etc. Those corporate events um, aren't being supported by anything that we've, that we've seen so far, and certainly this disability in the new program would be very difficult um, for them to qualify for it. And the same applies to wedding organisers as well. Um, but which are still events, it's still, it's still a sector that these are both sectors that we still uh, represent. Um, so uh, our, our plight at the moment is, is a relatively grim one in that we don't, we don't know when we're going to be allowed to return. We don't feel that the, the, the Westminster's attitude of waiting to the end of the month and see what it is and then push on is a fair one on anyone. Um, but we're also very, very keen to point out that we, we make events and, and, and we make events at IB and regional group for it. We're not just about coming to Ukraine and saying that we've got all these problems going sorted out. Um, we make events uh, kind of ethos is to be proactive in trying to find solutions and work with local government and, and, uh, and try and find ways forward. So we're, we're obviously, we have a lot of proposed solutions that we've been working on um, and we're very very keen to work with uh, with government to try to make those happen rather than just being a thorn in people's sides. Uh, we, we're, we're very uh, very adamant in, in pointing out that uh, the, the arts and culture and the events sector um, is not a problem it should not be envisaged as a problem to, uh, to anyone but we certainly should be seen as a very large part of the solution. When we're allowed to open, we believe that our sector will be one of the fastest to recover, and it will certainly put uh, a huge economic, um, a, a huge injection into the economy very quickly. Okay, Sean, is that you finished? It is, hopefully. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm, I'm open for questions. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. And I, I suppose after that, and even through your 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 brief, you sent it as well. I mean, it's hard to believe, or actually, it's not after listening to you of the the amount of people that this affects. You know, seven and a half thousand people. Um, that form part of your organisation and all that they do. And I absolutely get where you're coming from. You can't be told on Friday we're opening again on Monday and have an event 
um, up and ready for Tuesday. It takes more than a few weeks, I'm sure, of planning, a few months, I'm sure, more of planning um, for any event, any of those large-scale events um, to take place. And I absolutely agree with you as well when you say that um, when we get through this and through to the other side, um, your industry um, will be one of those industries that we'll be crying out for because people will need that release. People will want you know, to be able to go back and do things that they want to do. So it's just really then, um, you can you answer most of what I wanted to ask because I, I was wanting to ask about the disparity you know, between um, the rest of the UK and here and how you feel that you have been treated. And also, um, out of that 7,500 workforce that you talk about, um, how many, and, and just a ballpark percentage-wise, do you uh, are you able to tell us how many of that of those uh, individuals um, have to date been unable to receive any funding uh, whatsoever and also then on the, the and I think we have questions as well for the Minister and for the Arts, Arts Council to do with the distribution of the 29 million uh, and where that is going and how that is actually going to the people who most need it and not to those individuals who continually receive funding I think the Minister had said that herself that she wanted to see this next tranche of funding going to those that um, that those that were in absolute need and hadn't been part of any other schemes. Um, so just if you can answer some of those, and then also to ask you as well, Sean, um, you know the, we we don't know when when this is ever going to leave us, if it ever will, um, without a vaccination. Um, but if we continue to have these lockdowns and stops and starts. Um, just how much does that affect you? Because I, I mean, I get that there's that planning process that you must put in place, which, as to, which I can see why the insurance is a big, big deal for you. Um, so just if you could expand a little bit more on that. Okay, well, well um, we've been friends and I have actually been running a survey, uh, which has been active now for around four weeks. Uh, it's been aimed at uh, the self-employed slash freelance and business owners. Um, so we, we've had uh, we've had a very good response on that so far. Um, so so just to answer, I can't put a figure an exact figure on it, but certainly out of the the freelance and self-employed, <coughs> uh, responded to the the uh, to the survey. Um, Forty-five percent of those people have not been able to claim the self-employed income support scheme. Um, the the majority we, we asked why as part of the, the, the survey as well if they weren't able to uh, to claim it why not the majority of them uh, give give the same answer in that they're too newly uh, self-employed uh, our our industry over the past uh, five years uh, has been exploding it's been growing and growing becoming more and more lucrative. Um, and for that reason, uh, from sort of 2018-2019, we've seen uh, a huge growth in the amount of self-employed uh, people that we have within the industry. Certainly, around seventy-two percent of our industry is made up of self-employed, um, and uh, the 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 healthy uh, condition of our industry up until March this year um, was was. Uh, Kind of be, be uh, reinforced by the fact that so many people had felt the confidence to to go self-employed, to become freelance, and to uh, to be full-time self-employed within our industry. So the the fact of the matter is that forty-five percent of them, um, or the majority of that forty-five percent, who haven't been able to avail of the size, uh, weren't able to because they couldn't return um, accounts for 2018-2019. They were too newly self-employed. 
And there, there were a, a, a number of people as well who had other sources of income and therefore uh, the self-employment didn't make up enough of the percentage of their um, their income, so they, they didn't avail of that. But, but around about 45%, uh, or sorry, around about 42% um, are citing the, the reading of being um, that they were too newly self-employed and didn't qualify for it. Um, the, we obviously haven't got all 7,500 people to answer the survey. It would be fantastic if they did. But uh, as the, as the uh, responses have been rolling in on it, the figures, the, the percentage figures have basically stayed pretty much the same, so it's given us a very, very good insight into that. So if, if we imagine that 72% of our workforce is, uh, is self-employed, then around about 40% of that is, has not been able to avail of size because they're too newly employed, uh, they're, they're too newly uh, self-employed. Um, I have completely forgotten what the other part of the work You're quite okay. You're pro I've probably forgotten half of it myself, but that's all right. Um, no, I wanted to, it was just about, um, I suppose, going forward and further lockdowns. And just, uh, just to, again, just if you could just expand on that, how that's going to affect um, your your business and the people that you represent. And the, the lack of notice, I suppose, and unable to plan and not having that insurance, um, you're not going to plan a major event unless you know for definite, unless you have insurance otherwise. Um, so just really, uh, just a wee bit more on that. Yeah, so um, obviously as a lot of times keep happening, everybody's in <laughs> As we know today, there's there's recommendations for hospitality closed for another two weeks. Um, they, I think that they're again um, with putting my solutions hat on at the moment. You know, really events have been working very very closely with this testing um, company, and our thought is that if we if we were able to have uh, rapid testing, which has a much higher uh, Rate of accuracy. I mean, the, the testing company that we're working with is, is returning results at 99.7% accuracy, and uh, you have a result within uh, 45 minutes. If we were able to do events where people were tested and received a pass for for up to three days to say that they were safe, tested, and not contagious to anyone else, regardless of whether they then caught the virus afterwards, it would still not be contagious for the first three days and therefore safe to go to events. Uh, the, the adoption by government, both local and national, to, to run a scheme like that would mean that we're not necessarily waiting on a vaccine and we wouldn't necessarily need the lockdowns. You've seen uh, Slovakia do a, a mass testing at the weekend and it'd be interesting to see how that turns out. Um, so as the, as the lockdowns keep going on, yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a knock-on with us as it does with hospitality, as it does with retail. It, it, if, I'm, if I'm totally brutally honest about it, it won't have that big of an impact because we're not working at the moment, we're not allowed to work. So regardless at the moment if there's a lockdown or not, we're still mandated closed and the, the big issue that a lot of our businesses have um, mine as well, for example, I'm the director of a, of a rental company. Um, we haven't been, we've been told to close, we don't have to close. Unfortunately, all of our clients have been told to close, so they are uh, mandated to close. We are not, um, but we're, we're unable to sustain a level of work. At, at the moment, we're not <coughs> for uh, what we should be doing. Um, 
And so then, so repeated lockdowns will just extend that. It won't. It won't be a, a good bad good bad scenario. It's just always a bad scenario at the moment because we're we're constantly closed. If we were able to get to a point that we're uh, running events with testing, and and we've got to bear in mind that schools or back schools are not testing. They're they're just waiting until children get sick and then and then isolating after that. If there was testing and, and cases were caught soon enough before people became contagious, it would contain this much faster, much quicker, and it would have a better outcome. And that, that's a, a large part of what we're pushing with this meet. We make events to try and make that happen. You're 100% correct. We can't just today say, okay, events are allowed to happen on Monday, let's have shows. Um, that it, it doesn't work that way, there has to be planning, but there are large scale events. Um, that are that are planned. Um, for example, there there are a huge amount of events that have been cancelled since March or postponed. Sorry, since March until now, which have released dates starting from spring next year. Now the the, the fear is that even in spring next year, uh, the the government won't have this under control and will still be looking at further rolling lockdowns. Um, our, our industry just doesn't have a restart date. We have no idea whether we're going to be able to restart in spring. A lot of events, a lot of tours particularly, are now not looking at hitting Northern Ireland until September next year. But the, 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 the idea that there isn't public confidence doesn't really work given that uh, Little Mix have a, have, a, have a tour announced for the start starting next spring. 200,000 tickets sold out in 24 hours. Belfast is one of the, one of the, the destinations for that. Um, but until we, we have events opened up again, until we have a way of being able to run events at full capacity, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to operate viably. And that's a key thing as well, is that uh, the, the trying to run events in a, in a socially distanced environment isn't commercially viable. A venue needs to sell 80% of the tickets to break even, and at, even at one meter spacing, venue you can sell around about 18%. Um, it just isn't commercially viable, so we need to be able to get to a point where we can uh, sell events at, at full capacity and not worry about um, social distancing. And the same can be said for, you know, so we, we hear on the radio every day about uh, people who have weddings planned and, and the, the rules change as they're about to have their weddings and suddenly they're not allowed as many guests or they're allowed guests up to a certain time, etc. Um, and, and, and likewise for corporate, you know, the, the Northern Ireland has become a, a real hub for, for uh, conferencing and corporate events. Um, and until we can get that confidence back and be able to put those events on, um, we're, we're going to lose out on that, uh, that input to the economy and we really need to get that back as well. So, so uh, apologies for rambling a bit, but um, the, the, the effect of the lockdown, not lockdown, lockdown, just extends our, our, our set of circumstances that we're in at the moment. Okay, thanks, Sean. Just a couple of comments before I open up. Um, sometimes in this committee, we're not highlighted, or it hasn't been highlighted to us to do with the supply chain so much. Maybe in other committees you'll hear that, maybe the economy or DARE or whatever you'll hear about the supply chain. Um, and I suppose it's, it's, it's good for us to be mindful also in this committee that there is a supply chain as well that's affected by that. 
And it just when something you said there, I was listening to a, a show on the radio um, one day last week about, uh, I can't even remember the artist, about releasing a new album and has now stopped that because he's not certain, or he's, he or she's not certain if they can tour with that album. So they're, and not that he, he or she will be worrying too much either paying their mortgage, but um, you know that affects then a whole industry as well. Um, of people because because of because of the COVID crisis and, and the issue of testing um, and what you comments you made are, are way beyond this committee's remit. I have to say, um, I, if if yeah if we were able to deal with that, um, we certainly would. I think that's at a much higher level than us. Um, and I think you're right, um, just in saying that. You know, if we are if. It, it, we're dependent on a vaccination, but we also need to look at a better testing program. But as I say, that's not our committee's remit, so I'm not going to delve too much deeper into that one. Okay, I have Fra, and I have Kelly, and I have <coughs> Alex down, and I have Mark. So Fra first. And, uh, Sean, thank you very much. It was certainly very interesting uh, the presentation that, that you made, and even uh, where the the the, uh, the stuff that you, you started within uh, the chair up in terms of. Uh, the, the, the product that, that you provide and I think for us sitting here is that you, you don't hear your story in amongst all the rest of it and it's only when you bring it all out uh, that, that you do really, uh, realise the, uh, the essential service that is, is provided there and there are many people are actually uh, are, 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 done, are hit by the, uh, the, the, the whole thing and obviously I think that uh, I know uh, that, that Paul is saying about uh, what what this committee can do, and, and, and you, you mentioned some stuff at the part, at the start in terms of uh, that uh, the furlough about the, the benefits such as excluded from all these, how we can fit in, how we can open doors uh, that made a nicely input. I think uh, probably more than that, uh, we need to, uh, to, to, to understand and realise uh, what 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 the ask is. And how we, as a committee of government, uh, can uh, can can move that forward. Uh, and I think just even the basics of understanding. And I did see this the thing on television. I'm just going through my minutes. I've seen a, a, a replicated replicated there, and uh, it's it's quite shocking uh, because there's not a week goes by that you don't see uh, some uh, group of people who are not seriously impacted uh, by by what thing and. Uh, only five, six weeks ago, everybody thought you were generally bad. And then, bang, you're in the worst phase of it. And that's the stuff that you're talking about, Paula. You know, just continuously. And you, you, you live in hope. Uh, that's uh, something to think. But you, uh, hope doesn't feed you. Uh, or it doesn't provide a, a, a provide for you in, 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 in the world. So if there's anything that, that we, we can do as a committee... Uh, we, 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 we certainly should be looking at that. Uh, well, if, if there's any doors that we can open, open certainly. I think we, 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 we need to do that. And uh, you've already spoke of uh, the likes of Barnet consequences of some of the money that was uh, talked about and thing, where that, where that fit in. And to, to be honest, when you, when you hear about your business, you, you automatically think of the arts, so you think of some of the... Uh, that, that we have had on a number of times... That, and there's been a number of uh, sizable uh, uh, grants made available uh, to to to, uh, to to the the, the art sector, uh, taking into consideration the thing. And the, again, being honest, I, I just didn't know you existed, and that's why I'm so happy you are here. And I was just take it for granted that there are people are going to provide that anyway. But if there's anything that we can do, 
uh, I, I just uh, think because I think it would be a shame that once we start to get back to normal normality, and I have no doubt that we will get back to normality at some stage, uh, that we do need uh, people like yourself to be there. Uh, uh, because I think morale is going to be a huge thing for people coming out of this. People's mental health is going to be a huge thing. And, uh, and the, the expertise that you carry along uh, with, uh, with uh, the, the business that you do is going to be so essential and, and, uh, and preventing even the thoughts of going to a concert. You know, that I was talking, my daughter was saying to me she had maybe made good two, two or three or four concerts a year. And then they're all off, and you people go into fits of depression because they can't get at it and things like that. There, and that you are there, uh, that uh, that are able uh, to put in the operation. Just come on, let's get this going here and get it up and running. And I think uh, if we are ever to move forward out of this, uh, are an essential element of it. Yeah, and I think just to, sorry, Sean, just to add on that, I think Fran's absolutely right. There are things this committee can do, and I know earlier we had a we were talking about um, the sports <coughs> side of stuff and getting a briefing on that. Yeah. I think following this meeting, certainly we'll be getting a briefing from the Department and the Arts Council um, to do with the allocations of, of funding and, and the process and uh, and um, the the qualifying factors for that. So I think you're right, Fran. I think that that's certainly something we can do as a committee. Sorry, Sean, I, I interrupted you. Or did you want to make a comment on Fraz? Yeah, uh, thanks, um, the, the, the kind of key thing, really, the, the key problem for particularly the supply chain element of our, of our sector is that we uh, we are very good at what we do, and what we do is stay invisible to the, to the public, so people don't really know that we exist. Um, you know, the, the, what, what, for example, your daughter won't know is that for every concert that she goes to, if it's, if it's in an arena set, if it was in the SSE, you're looking at a, a band or an artist on stage, you're not aware of the uh, 400 plus people that it takes to put that band on the stage. Yeah. And that's everyone from uh, the touring road crew to the local provision, the caterers, the box office staff, the, you know, the, the, there's every every event takes over 400 people to, to run something like that. Uh, we, we as, as an industry, we are the invisible people. We try to stay out of the way so that you can look at the person that you call along to look at rather than, uh, rather than us. But uh, this is the first time that we've, we've had to, to come out of the shadows. And particularly with the supply chain companies, um, we're talking about companies that are very viable, very busy, and very profitable. And this is the first time ever that the, that the majority of these companies have had to come forward and, and ask for help. Um, they don't exist, for example, on any, any uh, funding lists because they've never needed funding before. So, uh, so the, the, the real fear is that we'll, we'll end up being um, lost and, and forgotten about. Not, not even forgotten about, because if you're not aware, we would have the first bit. Can't forget us. Um, it, it's a, a real key thing to point out that within our industry, um, you, mental, you mentioned mental health brands. I mean, that's a very important thing to us. And actually, we make events. Uh, main campaign is also a fundraiser, and we, we're, we're raising funds for mental health charities within our industry. Uh, mental health uh, has been a, a, a huge concern within our industry, uh, pre-COVID, even the, you know, with, um, with statistics for suicide amongst people in our industry uh, climbing very alarmingly. And, uh, 
a large part of that is if, if you imagine whenever we're all working together, we don't work eight hours a day. We're, we're, we're living with each other, we're working with each other. Your uh, work colleagues are also your family in a lot of these settings, particularly in, in tour settings and you know, when everybody's living on a bus and traveling together. Um, everything else is, is, is by the by. You're here and now is, is the tour and the people that you're with. Um, so in March, whenever everybody was sent home and, uh, and we were told that they couldn't, they, they, you know, they had to isolate, they had to stay away from everyone, not only were people being told that they couldn't do the job that they lived for, because there's nobody in our, in our industry who, who does what we do just because it's a way to earn money. That's not the case in the, in the events industry. There, it could be argued that there are much easier ways to earn money and still have a work-life balance. But for us, our, our work-life balance all, all uh, revolves around work. Um, we have a, a huge responsibility to the people that we represent for their mental health and, and the, the fear and the, 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 the uh, problems people are having at the moment because they don't know if slash when they're ever going to get back. Um, but also, the, the events sector is has always been the fallback in times of hardship. It's, all, it's always been, you know, even, even during the recession and, and during the crash in 2008, the fence went through the roof because people couldn't afford new cars, they couldn't afford holidays, and they needed a release, so they went into events. Um, we've, we've always sort of been the, the, the go-to industry, and if there's, a, if there's a global crisis, Normally, there's a great benefit gig happens for it. You know, you get your live aids and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, this is the first time that something's happened that, that we haven't been turned to to help us because we can't because we're all locked down. So mental health is a huge issue. Uh, both the mental health of the people within our sector and the mental health of the public who, who we offer our release to. Um, uh, when, whenever whenever you, you say, Fab, how you can help, definitely an open dialogue. We, we and, and we make events also, as much as we're coming to you saying we need help, we're also coming to, to government to say, we can help by letting you know that we exist and by offering up the solutions, the potential solutions that, that we have worked on because we're very, very proactive that way. We're not just a group of people who want to sit around and grind and say everything's rubbish, let's go and speak to the committee about this. Um, you know, we, we, do, we do actually want to help uh, the executive as much as we need the executive to help us. Thank you. Okay, thank you for that. Um, Kelly? Thank you very much, Chair. Um, Sean, thank you very much. Um, it's it's difficult after earlier we were talking about such a progressive um, housing statement from the Minister to then hear from yourselves. Um, all I can say to the whole sector is I'm really sorry that this is happening. Um, when you said when there's no work, there's no income, um, it, it it doesn't ring any further, any more true than in your sector. Um, and you're right, you have been one of the first that was, was effectively closed down. Um, in my past work history, I was fortunate to work for a local commercial radio station. And, and nobody sees when, whenever you're putting on events, the, the person that drives the lorries, the guys that hump all that equipment about. Um, it's not just all about the star at the front. It's about everyone else you know, who's in there together. I was a salesperson, so nobody cares about them because we're just the hateful people that come and try and take money out of others. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. You know, I'm very grateful for those that I still am in contact with. And makeup, for instance, when we go on television, you know, that try to beautify you know, faces of politicians going on screen. It's such a hidden industry because it's a bit like the swan 
everything in, in front of the performance is, is, is so seamless, but underneath the legs are going like mad, and that's what your industry is. So there's a few questions I have here. Um, I was, I was shocked when I read the, the paper to see that, and this is what does directly impact communities, that whenever the, um, the new proposed scheme comes forward, that people will actually be paid less than universal credit if they have to depend on the percentage of their income. Um, so one of my, I have a few questions, but the first one is my fear about the number of people who are being lost to the industry. Um, we've had a very successful growth in the film industry and attracting outside investment from film and production companies coming here because they want to come to Northern Ireland. They're excited by Northern Ireland and they're excited by the whole culture and heritage and entertainment industry, which is everything from hearing a singer in a pub um, through to watching a, a performance or a community festival. It's all of that. But I'm just wondering how many of those people, especially those newly self-employed people who have taken the bull by the horns, are being lost to the industry to universal credit. Um, because once you get into that scheme, um, it's it's quite difficult you know, to get the, the investment to go back again. So that's my first question. The next one then um, I wanted to get to was, and others have mentioned it, is your engagement with the Arts Council or the Department of the Economy, because these are self-employed people. It's, it doesn't matter what the industry is, they're still self-employed people. Um, and with so many in your, in your um, industry being newly self-employed, why would anybody want to set up their own business again in the future? I think the go-for-it programmes and all of that really have a lot of work to do after this COVID, given the fact that you haven't been supported. Um, so I'm interested to see if there's been any work there. And finally, if you could tease out insurance. I know that you're looking for your ask is a government-backed COVID-19 insurance scheme. I have huge concerns over our insurance industry, and, and perhaps as a committee we can ask you know, some of the other ministers to, um, to consider this. We found that insurance f didn't pay out whenever COVID struck because there was details in the small print that excluded COVID because it wasn't, I think it, it wasn't initially declared a pandemic and therefore it was outside of the mix. Has your insurance uh, for venues, for events, has that let you down? Is that why you need to turn to the government for this? I know that when you need to put um, or reimburse or refund tickets, that that's taken out costs that are used, as you say, 80% is used then to break even. Um, but I'm just wondering if the insurance companies have let you down in that way. Have they not covered um, because COVID wasn't a pandemic? Um, I'm interested to hear that. Sorry, that was quite a bit short. <laughs> With regard to, to just to, you mentioned about, about film, and film has been making a great comeback actually, and they have been very busy. And, and um, I, I personally have been lucky enough to do, to, or not I personally, but, but some of my uh, freelance uh, staff have been lucky enough to get uh, a bit of work on film as well. So that's been that's been a, a little bit positive out of it. But certainly film. Uh, the, the film industry have managed to secure insurance uh, policies now, which do cover against COVID, um, and uh, and that's that's what we're asking for, working towards. But well, I, I will come back to that, Kelly. Um, as far as how many are lost, again, I, I've got to 
I'd like to just refer uh, to uh, the survey that we're on at the moment with, uh, with We Make Events. So, um, at, at the moment, what, what we're seeing is that 69% of freelance people have had to go and seek employment outside of the industry. So, uh, so if, we're, if we're saying that 72% of our, our uh, of our workforce is freelance, 69% of that 72 have been looking for work outside the industry, 49% have found it, and 37% have, have found full-time work. So 37% of the 72% have found full-time work outside the industry. And, and to break that down a little bit further, 31% have taken permanent full-time work. Um, when asked if they intend to make a return to the uh, to the events industry, one uh, percent have given an absolute no, um, and seventeen uh, percent have given a not sure. So, uh, so we at the moment we're looking at around about eighteen percent between no's and not sure. Um, that's that's a, a, a sizable hit, and it, the the key thing to note as well is that. Um, the, you know, certainly I, I have, since 2013, um, my company's had a, a full-time training division, which has been doing not only professional training for people within the industry, but also outreach to schools, outreach to colleges. And, uh, and my company worked very closely with CCS back in 2013-2014 to uh, open up the first ever uh, culture and creative uh, apprenticeships. And, uh, and my uh, my company was the first to appoint apprentices. I'm actually a, an assessor for apprenticeships now within the, the, that scheme as well. And actually, myself and the minister um, had a photo opportunity a number of years ago on the steps of Stormont with me teaching her how to use a follow spot. Um, it's a it's a key thing to note that none of the jobs in our industry are jobs that you can just walk into and do. There's a huge amount of training. There's a huge skill set there. There are apprenticeships for the jobs in it. There are qualifications which are unique qualifications to our industry. Um, th this this workforce that we have is a hugely skilled, hugely qualified, and, and hugely experienced um, workforce. And to lose potentially eighteen percent of our freelance workforce is disastrous. It's a it, it's going to have a huge impact on on what we are able to deliver, and it's going to push us back into you know. I, I know I look incredibly young, but I've been in this industry for coming on 30 years now. And back 30 years ago, uh, in the midst of the troubles, we were the, the, the country that, that um, only the most hardy of tours came to, for example, and you know, the real the hardcore bands or whatever came to. Um, and, and over the past 30 years, we've built to a point that we really are a, 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 a beacon of excellence in Northern Ireland for everything that we do, every type of event. Um, to lose 18% of the workforce to deliver that excellence is, uh, is, um, would be a tragedy. It would be a tragedy and a travesty. Um, so, uh, so that should hopefully give, give you an idea, Kelly, of how many we, we have lo lost or have potential to lose. Um, as far as reach out to other departments goes, uh, there have been, again, we make events that have been working a lot to keep our workforce aware of what other funding possibilities there are out there. So um, we, we are, for example, waiting with bated breath to, to hear um, uh, Diane Dodd's announcement. I know that she, she had said 
that she was putting her people to task to find or to put together a program to help those that were excluded in the in the first size raft. So we, you know, we're we're keeping an eye on the on the news every day to see what comes out there. There, there has been um, engagement with uh, companies that we're dealing with to uh, to to go. For example, we won't qualify for this because we haven't been mandated to go. We qualify for for uh, CRBSS Part A because we haven't been mandated to close. But hopefully, Part B will be able to help a lot of our businesses. We are aware of other of other funds that are out there, and we we are um, you, you know keeping an eye on all that sort of thing. I guess that really this has fallen in the first instance to the department for um, for communities and to yourselves and the committee because we are servicing that element of the, the um, arts and cultural sector and, and that being uh, your department, you know, that's, that's why we're, we're chasing you for it. Um, as far as insurance goes, I, I, can, I can give an example of, of how insurance uh, failed us at the start of this and why we're reaching out, particularly Westminster, to, to, uh, to step up to the mark on it. Um, I was on tour uh, for um, all of March, well not for all of March, obviously for the first two weeks in March. Um, the tour that I was on ended on the 16th of March um, and obviously the 16th was uh, the day that Boris Johnson made the announcement about what, what our further steps were going to be and, uh, and where we were going. Um, I was working with an artist who had actually cancelled or postponed a show earlier in the tour um, through ill health and the insurance company had said that uh, they, they wanted him to reschedule the date. So our, our tour overran by a couple of days and took us to the 16th and on the 16th we were, we were not sure whether we were going to be allowed to do that show that night or whether, the, whether Westminster were going to say that events weren't allowed to happen. Um, the worst outcome really came that night, where essentially uh, the Prime Minister said, you know, we're not banning shows, but we're advising the public not to go to shows. That put the onus on the artists or the production to cancel the show, um, rather, or the promoter, rather than being mandated to close. And at that point, if the promoter cancelled the show, they would be uh, liable for the, for the uh, the losses on it because the, the insurance policy didn't cover, as you said, COVID. Um, and if the artist cancelled, then the artist would be responsible for 100% of the the, uh, the costs uh, that were incurred in that. And, and as you may or may not know, an artist only makes a very small percentage of what the actual uh, the the uh, the income is from the event because there are so many people to pay out of it. Um, and uh, there's there's one particular artist that, that I listen to quite a lot on podcast, and he he was doing his first tour, and he had to cancel a number of shows in London because he felt unsafe doing them, and the onus fell on him. He would face bankruptcy if everybody were to cash in their their uh, tickets to, to refund, but the insurance company won't stand over it. So he has had to make a personal plea to all his listeners to say, listen, hold on to your tickets and I promise that I'll reschedule shows when I'm allowed to again. Um, but the, but the, the upshot of everything that happened in March was that either promoters, uh, event organisers or, or the uh, the artists themselves stood to, to have 
to repay those costs because the government essentially enabled the insurance companies to, uh, to kind of sidestep the, the payments because of clauses within insurance policies and also because um, the government didn't say you're not allowed to do these events and that's largely the, been the problem for the supply chain companies as well, Kelly, is that we haven't been mandated to close so we're not eligible for funds such as LRSS because you know I, I am aware of some of us um, it, it's you know theoretically being closed because we don't have business but it's been open we've had to continue to, to try to trade and we're, we're trading for example at about four percent which across the whole of the UK is the average at the moment in the in the event sector is that businesses are are trading at a maximum of around about four or five percent of their normal turnover so uh, a company such as, such as mine we're making huge deficits every month Sea uh, bills loans have been taken by companies across the nation, and those loans are sitting in bank accounts, paying off what's being lost every month. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no issue long that that can go on until that loan money runs out, and then businesses can't afford to take more loans to continue with it. Um, so yeah, sorry. Hopefully that's answered. Yeah. No, no, that's been very, very clear, Sean. Thank you very much. Uh, just finally, just to say, because let others come in, um, absolutely recognise the work that you're doing. You've brought to the fore um, an issue within the sector that was otherwise hidden, so thank you for that. And it would be remiss of me not to... Um, name check um, the OEM Music Centre and Shannon Charlotte there who have made sure that quite a lot of us are aware of, of the issues that have been going on. I know that artists are having to depend on things like the Van Morrison Foundation that's just been opened this week um, to make ends meet. Um, I have actually asked the First Minister and Deputy First Minister if they would consider engaging the arts sector and, and the entertainment sector to help the messaging um, for the public but um, for now um, I just did a quick calculation. Um, the self-employed leaving is about just under a thousand people out of your sector then that have gone with probably not coming back, which is a huge number. Um, thank you very much for your work. Um, I'm sure as a committee we will try our very best to support you guys and see that, that all those people who make those events work um, are supported and, and have access to, to money. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Kelly. Um, I have Alex and then I have Mark. So, Alex. Yeah, um, thank you very much for your presentation and um, I'm really sorry to hear about all the, the issues that your industry are having and um, agree with what Kelly said, it, it's been largely hidden, um, so your presentation is, is quite vital today. A um, couple of quick questions, the money that's been awarded <clears throat> for the, the arts Sector, how much do you envisage that might? How much of that do you envisage might come down to your sector from that? That's my first question, and I was very interested about your your proposal about testing. So, um, I sort of wanted to explore that a wee bit with you, if I could. Um, say you were to do a, a concert, say for forty thousand people, and you don't need to give me a free ticket, by the way. <laughs> but, but, um, how would you envisage doing? that testing um, and those results being able to get out to, to, to people so that they could go to a concert like that? I'm sorry, I just had a little internet issue. Oh, dear. Um, I'm just going to have to wait a wee minute, members, see if we can get Sean back in the room again. He's gone. He's on our screen still. So it's just know. me. <laughs> I'm not affecting people. <laughs> um, 
Just take your ease a wee moment and we'll see if we can get Sean back in front of us again. If we can't get him back, I mean, any other further questions, we can put down in writing to him, of course, so we can and, or, um, and ask him. But if, just take a wee moment. If you want, we could nearly go on to the next. Oh, he's back. He's back. Hey. Hi, Sean. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. I don't know what happened there. I just lost the connection and then lost Joe. Um, sorry, Alex, I didn't catch the, the start of your, uh, your question um, because I was having internet issues. Okay, I'll, so, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll just get stuck into the couple of quick questions. Um, the money that's going down to the arts, I think it's 29 million. How much do you envisage might come down to your sector from that? That's the first question. And the second quick question is, um, I'm sort of interested in the idea of mass testing for maybe the likes of a concert and say 40,000 people. How, how do you envisage that working um, out? Um, do you think that could be done? Um, would it be done? Uh, how would they get the results and how would they get into the venue? You know. Okay, uh, yeah, Oh, how much? How much do you envisage from the twenty-nine million going to the art sector? Yeah, so, so we 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 worked out. Obviously, there was the, the individual emergency uh, uh, resilience program that, that came out at the start of this, um, but where uh, individuals could get the grants of twelve hundred, uh, three thousand, five thousand pounds, and we know that uh, one thousand eighty-nine people uh, benefited from that. So that that was around about. Uh, just under four million pounds went went to that. Um, today and then beyond that, the, the what's available to the supply chain, we we think is really going to come out of the stability and renewal program. So that's the seven seven and a quarter or seven and three quarter million pounds, um, which we're yeah. we have worries about obviously because we're concerned that that may not be enough to to make payments that would be on a level with what uh, equivalent companies in England have, have been paid. Um, the, uh, the, the rest of, of what's being released at the moment goes to heritage and then the, the languages so it doesn't it doesn't fall into our sector. And then the, the minister has obviously uh, said that the remaining ten and a half million pounds will go to uh, councils to retain their uh, assets and also the individuals. So we, we, we are hoping that that is perhaps like a, a second tranche of the IERP, but again, we would ask for, for clarity on that to, to see whether that's the case. So um, uh, there, are, there are obviously the other uh, funds such as the LRSS and the CRBSS and, uh, that, that we do hope that we'll be able to draw from. Um, but the, our concern at the moment is, is the stability and renewal program. We think there will be a lot of uh, demand for that, uh, and, and a large part probably of what, what we're trying to get across in the events is to, to um, we can't expect governments and local government to, to know how many of us there are, given that we've been so silent and so, so invisible. Um, and this is very late in the day. We have been trying to, to get in front of as many people as we could to, to highlight how many of us we are um, to, to get to that. But, but in answer to how much you, you, you think that, that, that we've, or sorry, how much we think we've done, there's been about 4 million individuals 
and there's the seven and three quarter million the, the, the stability and renewal. Um, but, but again, as I say, we're we're concerned that it's it's not going to be enough. And we again with the ten and a half million that remains that, that the minister has said a portion will be individuals. Um, one of the questions that we've been asking is, will that be four million pounds again, or what? What will the the, the division on that uh, equal? Because even those individuals who got five thousand pounds, they got it eight, eight to, you know, they, uh, they didn't get it eight months ago. They got it to cover a period of time that reaches back eight months. So it equates to around about seven or eight hundred pounds a month. It's, it's not a huge amount to, for those people to try and live on. Um, with, with regard to the, the testing, we have obviously been working with this with with, the, um, with, with one company, one developer who, who does this rapid testing. It's the, the ICG not testing, um, and they, uh, they we, we would need to test audiences and people working on the event in advance, but that can be on the day of the, the event. We have uh, management programs. Uh, already written up um, on how, how we would manage those people. We would look, for example, at if we were, say, testing 3,000 people for an event, um, we, would, we would have staggered times that people would be assigned the time to turn up in their groups of 150, um, and they would be tested. The test takes around 45 minutes for a, a, a result. The key thing with this one particular test, aside from its, its huge level of accuracy, is also that it's connected to an app, and that app becomes your COVID passport, essentially. Um, we know that people are not infectious for the first uh, 72 to 96 hours, at least after they catch the, the, uh, the virus. So they could potentially turn up socially distanced, wearing the PPE, do a test, go away for 45 minutes, come back, get the result, they then get a QR code that they scan with their phone and that gives them a green pass and it means that they're safe. They're safe to others for uh, for three days. They could potentially in 45 minutes if they go away, bump into someone who has COVID, contract COVID and come back and receive a, their, their result, which is clear. Um, all the test does is test you at the time, but what, what the test would determine would be that at that time, you were you were not carrying the uh, the virus, and for the next three days, you will not be a risk to anybody else because you will not be able to pass the virus on. Uh, it obviously isn't a shield to stop people getting it, but what it does mean is that in that room that that event is happening, one hundred percent of the people that are in the room are not contagious. It doesn't rule out the idea that someone may catch the virus after they've been tested. You, we may still find people, uh, you know, coming in later on, but the the test will uh, will detect that. So if anybody, the, the, this this type of testing is so comprehensive that it's strong enough to detect illness on day one. So if somebody came along and was not showing any symptoms and didn't even know that they had it, they would be detected, they would get a red light and they would not be allowed in the room. They would only be allowed in if they are completely clear of the illness. Um, the, the, you know, at, at the end of the day, our, our title says it all, we make events, that's what we do. And, and we, we have huge 
logistics knowledge, we have huge crowd, man crowd management uh, experience and knowledge within our, our teams. Um, this is just the, the, the corralling of people and the mass testing of people is just a further extension of, of what we're used to doing. You know, the uh, promoters and event organizers have been doing similar for years, albeit it's not been testing people, but certainly if you go back to when I started in the industry, we, we were, you know, even been into shops, but it was another thing, but certainly to get into events, there were bag searches, there were all sorts of security issues that were going through. This is this is just a modern version of the same thing. Um, it, it's it's not very difficult to administer, and it's not very difficult to uh, to, to put out there. And particularly if we ended up getting the uh, the assistance of of, for example, a, you know a ticketing company where when you buy your ticket, it's an e-ticket and it's white, and it's in conjunction with the app, and then it goes green whenever you get not clear from the app, and that's your access. That's how um, the, the, the admission staff know whether or not it's safe for you to come in. Um, so, so it's, again, as I said, just as, as we make events, as we operate, we don't just come up with ideas and go, there you go, that's your problem, you deal with it now. You know, we, we have done a huge amount of work on this and we are at a point that we would, if we had clients, we would be able to run these events um, to prove that this works. Okay, thank you, that's interesting. Okay, thank you. And finally, uh, we have Mark, Mark Jarkin. Um, if we can bring Mark in. There he is. Thank you, Chair, and uh, thank you, Sean. I think Sean, I think about an hour ago, you apologised for rambling. I don't think he ever rambled uh, whatsoever. In fact, it's because you're representing and reflecting the concerns of an, an industry, or, or, or sorry, a sector that encompasses so many industries, indeed, so many individuals, so many people. Uh, we could talk about it all day and the, the, you know, the different permutations for those different uh, industries and individuals. Uh, I hadn't realised quite the scale of what we were talking about here, although fairly early on in, in this, this crisis, you know, I had been flagging some of these supply chain issues within uh, the events industry. It was brought to my attention by a, a company locally who do audio and, and visual equipment, they're entirely dependent on the evening economy, conference economy, tourism, and they've just been decimated, uh, basically. And I'm sure there are, are many others in similar lines of work that are the same, where uh, they have a, a lot of very expensive equipment sitting in, 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 in warehouses around the place. Not all of it is owned uh, out, outright, you know, but it, it needs uh, paid for, and, and that's just impossible, let alone paying for, for the rates on these places because the rates exemptions aren't going to apply to people uh, that don't fall directly within the hospitality uh, or tourism sector. Uh, I mean, Northern Ireland as a whole is extremely dependent on the events industry. And I think, I think it's fair to say my own constituency and, and Derry City is particularly dependent on it. We, we've seen that uh, sector grow and grow since 2013 when we were the uh, city of culture. And even if you just look, well, just last week we did cancel Halloween, which, which is much more than one day. And Derry, that's a full week of events. And I know uh, how much of a, a money spinner. Uh, that is for many industries, and I don't mean that crudely. It's not a money spinner per se. This is so many people's bread and butter 
you mentioned some of the industries there, but you spoke there about at the events that the general security sort of setup that would have existed. The impact that this has had on the, the security industry uh, certainly couldn't be understated. I don't know if it could be quantified even. Now, uh, everywhere you've gone, you've had supportive words uh, from politicians, but I think it's important that we sort of focus on how we turn those warm words and the cold, hard support uh, for the, the, the industry. Uh, I would certainly concur with your frustration at the announcement of, of the extension of further when we welcome its extension. Uh, the, the timing and the nature of that announcement was absolutely uh, diabolical. And, uh, and people uh, up until yesterday and even still today are awaiting clarity on the ramifications for them here. Uh, uh, just in terms of questions, you know, sorry, Sean, we, we were chatting there about the equivalent arts and culture support uh, in Britain, and you mentioned the Southampton Company, for example, with the £2 million turnover receiving £250,000. And then we, we, we've gone on in your response to the other questions, but you don't have any further detail on the criteria or uh, for the application process for the stability and renewal program for organisations, do you, or, how, or how that will be adjudicated? And if not, what we've heard from a bit from what you would like to see included, are there any features that you would like to see avoided? You know, that, that would be uh, overly onerous. Uh, put, put a massive burden on businesses that are already struggling and just to make it as simple and as fair a process as possible. I will thanks Mark. The, the, uh, certainly with the stability in the new programme, I mean, we, we've been, again, we're, we're kind of trying to offer help to people within our industry to understand it and, and see what the criteria are on it and how it works. I, you know, whenever, Whenever you go on the Arts Council website and you look at that at that fund, it does um, it, it's it's worded in a way that, that people can feel that they're excluded from the start until they reread it. So the, the, the uh, I don't have it right in front of me at the moment, but there are three points, and as long as you are one of the, those three points, we are interpreting that as meaning that you are eligible for this for this grant. Um, so the the uh, the, the, the key thing with it is we're representing events and, and as I said at the start, events include corporate events and, and exhibitions and that sort of thing. Um, whenever you look at the criteria with the renewal and stability, or stability and renewal program, um, understandably because it's been through the Arts Council, but the, all, all events tie into each other. They're all part of culture, they're all part of arts, but, but there are quite specific sectors that are named and as a supply chain company for example you, you have to be a, a business whose main part of your business services one or more of those uh of those sectors and that's dance and drama and you know the, the, these, these kind of things there's quite a list on it 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 leaves it open for a huge amount of people but it does exclude corporate companies audio visual companies whose, whose majority of their work is in, in the corporate sector or wedding, uh, wedding organizers, you know, don't, don't fall into dance and drama and, and you know, the, the community arts and that kind of thing. Um, so, so those people are 
are going to have to be pretty creative in the way that they uh, they interpret what they do to try to be eligible for that. And the big worry there is that once once that program's gone, there's there's ten and a half million pounds left, and they're not they're not going to benefit from that because that's going to be for individuals and for councils to retain their cultural asset. And it's very important we all feel that that the inclusion of weddings and corporate events still falls under our, our cultural uh, input, um, and it certainly has a has a, a big draw to the country. Um, the other aspect of it as well is that um, a company who is a lighting company for argument's sake to, to the theatre world, um, a company who is a lighting company to the corporate world may not cross over very much, but the, the freelance staff who work for those companies tend to be the same people across the board. Um, and, you know, so there, there are there are so many underlying links uh, uh, across the board with it. Um, and and uh, that, that's that's one of the one of the big concerns over this and certainly I've been I have personally been trying to, to keep people's hopes up with them when we make events by saying listen, there is the COVID restriction business support scheme coming out. We're not going to qualify for part A because we haven't been told that okay. But there, there may be some sort of help there in part B for us, albeit it's it's a it's a payment that's based on your rateable value of your premises. Um, it, it doesn't really equate to a potential half a million pound payout, for example, that, that, that's available under the uh, Stability and Renewal program. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there, there are still gaps there, Mark, and there are there are still parts of our sector who are are being um, forgotten about that are, that are being missed out. And the, uh, while on the one hand, uh, you know, there, there is the you know, Kelly asked, you know, what other departments are we looking at? And we have been looking at the uh, uh, and, and these other uh, grants that are coming out. Um, but they're, they're not, they don't take the same form as CRF in England has, or, or you know, how that. And, and as I say, there's been a huge disparity, uh, for example, speaking to the counterpart in, in Wales. The maximum that any company in Wales is allowed to apply for is, is £150,000, whereas there were companies in England um, uh, who, were, who were allowed to apply for in excess of a million pounds at the time. Um, there, there also were, were some exclusions. Um, everybody understands that we can't ask for grants to pay off our leases on equipment that gets to be ours at the end of it. We come out the other end. from government to get lenders to give people breaks um, and not charge excessive interest rates for those breaks at the, at the tail end of when we were about to come back. If, if you've got a warehouse of equipment that you're paying hundreds of thousand pounds a month on for payments, which isn't being given an opportunity to go out and earn its key, then it seems fair given the, the climate that we're in at the moment for those banks to give us a, a break on that, you know, and I know there have been mortgage holidays for the, for the public and, and just to extend something similar like that uh, would be would be very, very helpful. We also uh, discussed and banded about the idea of soft note for another one that, that worked on the same principle as a student note whereby uh, uh, 
an individual or a business could take a loan but not start running back until the profitability at a certain point. So, you know, these are just all, all topics that, that we've spoken about. That it's just an illustration of the fact that we're not sitting back going, Mark, this is all your problem. Would you sort this for us? You know, we're, we're, we are working for this. Um, but it's of the nature that, that we're really keen to avoid. I think it's really important to point out that the reasons for <coughs> potentially redundant since last Friday was because uh, the government, the, 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 the British government were very uh, proud of their job support scheme that they brought out and they're very proud of the fact that they've, they've brought the threshold down to 20% of business. Um, the average uh, the, the, the average productivity at the moment within our industry is about 4-5%. So to bring people back and pay them 20% of their wage is a cost that the majority of companies just cannot afford. If you take crew companies, um, there's no work. The crew are doing nothing whatsoever. And, and for that crew company to try it, and, and even with the furlough scheme extension, we as employers still have to pay national insurance and pension. We still have outgoing costs every month. Um, and, and that's why our call, albeit you know, some people may feel, some people who have no understanding of, of where we are, may feel it's a little bit greedy to say that we need a, a sector-specific job, job retention scheme that involves no contribution from employers. Um, uh, that, that needs to be means tested and employers who can't afford it because they do have an income need to not be allowed to take advantage of that. But we need to have those companies within our sector who are not getting a turn at all retained and looked after because as I said before, when we come back, our rise will be astronomically fast. We will come back exceptionally quickly because there's a, a huge market out there of people who want to go to events and need to go to events to stay sane. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's going to come back very, very quickly and it's going to be a huge cash injection into the economy. But if we lose those, those people, those skilled people, and we lose those companies, we're going to be turning to other countries to try and bring people into us. And we've lost the, the Northern Irish talent and skill and qualified people that we've got. And it goes against any economic policies that we have that we're going to have to outsource an entire sector or a large part of an entire sector. Um, so, so I guess features that we want avoided are uh, absolute mandatory stipulations that, that, a, that a company has to have financial input to balance any other input that we're given from elsewhere. Um, we aren't, as a, as a sector, we're not coming begging and saying just pay off all our bills and, and keep, we're, we're just saying we need retention, we need to make sure that we're held on to and, and that the, the, the value of our people and of our companies is recognised in a way that keeps them going. The, the self-employed self-employed uh, yeah, the size of the SEISS, you know, to drop that to 20% was criminal. To then pat themselves on the back of a more increasing 40% was, uh, was self-inflatory again and it was of no use to the majority of people. Actually, uh, around about 60% of those that we uh, surveyed, the self-employed people that we surveyed, um, said that the 80% was not enough for them to live on because people are, you know, 
People are not making wads of cash doing what we do. That's not why they do it. They do it because they have a love and a passion for what we do, and they earn enough to get by. 80% of enough is not enough. So 40% of enough is even less enough. Um, the, the extension of the, the, uh, the self-employed income support scheme, we just came back to me there, uh, the extension of that to 80% for this month is a nice gesture, but then the following two months will be down to 40%, given them an average of 53.3 that the government, the, the Chancellor uh, has, has increased to 55%. It's still not enough for people to live on. Um, and we're still waiting for the past two months because there hasn't been any anything done about the past two months. Self-employed people have had two rounds of payment, one at 80%, one at 70%, two three-month periods over eight months. So for two months, those self-employed people have been completely unsupported and then had the, the, the fear of being told they were only getting 20% and then only 40%. At the moment, they perceive zero for that period and continue to do so because the big fear is that now with the lockdown and the knock-on of what's happened they can't apply for that until December so so these people are stressed these people are being crushed at the moment and and the self-employed sector is being decimated it's being, it's, it's being completely wiped out and and you know the the, the amount of people at the moment you know uh, saying Kelly said Kelly did her, her quick estimation now about a thousand people. We stand to lose many, many more because they, we're just not going to be able to retain those people. Um, so so we had features to be able to do are you know one which is only a percentage of what uh, a self-employed person you know an unacceptably low percentage of what a self-employed person uh, could make on it um, and, and any kind of Penalising elements, for example, if you have to claim universal credit, then you're, you know you still a lot of these self-employed people will have had no option but to claim universal credit. So it's only fair that they still be allowed to apply for the sites. They pay their taxes in years gone by, and that's why we pay taxes. We pay government taxes so that the government can look after us and help us. Um, so, so there are a lot of penalising elements um, that. that that we would hope in the future are avoided because these people are working to provide for their family, provide for themselves, um, and, and that's, they're not allowed to at the moment, and then they're being penalised further still by being told you'll get 50% of what you're entitled to. Yeah, that's 50% of nothing. It's a hugely challenging time for so many. I had a couple of other questions, but most of them have been answered by yourself. Already, Sean, but thank you uh, for coming on and certainly have our ongoing uh, support and, and, and commitment to, to do our very best as a committee uh, to, I suppose, enforce your arguments <laughs> or reinforce your arguments, I should say, uh, with the executive here and Westminster, because sadly a lot of this is uh, outside of, of our gifts, but, but I think it's something that with all parties. Uh, working together on, uh, we, we should be able to gain some progress because it's, it's like you say, if we get back to normal or, or, or when we get back to normal, it's important that we have the, the capacity <laughs> there uh, to do so right across. I mean, it's going to be difficult enough, I suppose, and it's maybe why that, the, the, the testing uh, suggestion that, that you've come up with uh, is a good one because even when we do return to some kind of, of normal, the nervousness that will exist among 
you know, I'd say a, a fairly sizable percentage of the population would actually going out and going to events again. It'll take it'll take a year or two probably for that to, 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 to dissipate as well. I think certainly in some parts of the sector it will, in other parts it won't, you know, and, that, and that's indicated by the fact that tours are selling out, you know, in, in, in advance of going out. But, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that thanks for listening to me again. And, and as I've said, we make events are all about solutions. We're all about uh, coming up with ideas of, of, of how to help. And we are very, we make events in and I, as I said at the start, we've had fantastic uh, support and response from every, everybody in the executive and everybody in the assembly that we have spoken to um, and, it, and we're just continuing to plug on to try to try to get engagement with as many MPs, MLAs etc to to, to, uh, to highlight who we are, what we are, what plight we're facing but also that we we want to help you as well because we know that your hands are tied and that you're the, 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 it, a lot of this falls to Westminster, and um, and we are very very keen to help the the to help our MPs have an understanding and knowledge and know what we need to put to Westminster as well. Um, you know we're, we're we're very aware of that and we're very open. And any any further talks that we can have with yourselves or with anybody else, we are. 100% open to that 24-7 to be honest. Okay, thank you, Sean. Thank you for that, Mark. Are you finished there? It's just about quite yeah. conscious. We're running about 40 minutes behind schedule here. So, and I know Robin, I think, did you want to ask a question, Robin? Can I just ask Robin that you're brief? And can I ask as well, Sean, that you're brief in your answer because we really are up against it now for time. Go ahead, Robin. Yeah, sure. I will be very brief. Um, maybe clarification. Can I just ask? What's the status of your organisation? What type of body is it? Although you've said you represent the, the sector. It's entirely voluntary. We make events. is a registered business in uh, in England because it is uh, it, it has a board and it has directors. We but every the, the entire organisation is actually a voluntary organisation. It was registered as a business to uh, to protect the We Make Events name and to, to uh, avoid the possibility of uh, less uh, less diplomatic groups taking our name. So it's it's entirely it, we're we're running it as a fundraising organisation um, and also as a, a representative body and a uh, an information. Uh, source as much as possible as well. Okay, so it's a purely voluntary organisation? No, yeah. sta no staff, no registration or anything else? Okay, C can I just ask, I mean, some of the figures that you were talking about are, are, are you know, it's a sizable uh, number of people, a sizable contribution to the economy and so on. And just, just to try to quantify that, Chair, and to try to convince MLAs try to convince government uh, to MPs or whatever, it might be useful for you to actually produce a paper quantifying what the value of your sector, those you represent, is. And indeed, in doing so, send that forward to via the MPs, uh, particularly if you want to influence uh, uh, Westminster. And can I just ask the, the question, I think you make a very good point in your paragraph, how does this relate to Northern Ireland? 
<clears throat> and in, you've said that 25 million, sorry, 29 million set aside for the rescue of our sector in Northern Ireland has been largely allocated with grant possibilities for individuals and businesses. But it is vital that it does not exclude those individuals and companies who have historically had no need for funding. Have you approached the Arts Council on this matter and uh, have you indeed had any uh, answer from the Arts Council? Today, no. We, we've had obviously a number of individuals that we, that we work with and that we represent who have approached the Arts Council for funding just through, through the, the normal funding routes. But we haven't had any dialogue or such with, with the Arts Council today, no. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Thank, thank you. And thank Thank you for being brief there, and also thank you, Sean, for being brief in your answers there as well. Um, can I thank you uh, on behalf of the committee for coming forward today to brief us on this? Um, you've certainly given a voice um, to all of those um, uh, individuals that um, certainly have, have been voiceless up to date. Um, and, uh, and again, um, hopefully, uh, or well, not hopefully, the committee will uh, certainly be, make contact with uh, the, the, the Department for Communities and also the Department for Economy. Yeah. on the way forward for your industry and also then we'll be asking questions of the Arts Council um, around that, that funding. Um, so if that's okay, um, I leave it at that before we move on to your next and just again say thank you, Sean, and okay, bye-bye. Okay, mem okay, are members happy enough with that action from that? Okay, all right, members, I just need to take a quick break while we set up for our next uh, witnesses, okay? Okay, members, we're going to then move on. Okay, members, we're going to then move on to agenda item number six, which is licensing and registration of clubs amendment bill. Um, as we're now at, at the committee stage of the bill, can I inform members that the following papers you'll find from page forty-six: a copy of the bill, an explanatory and financial memorandum, a draft call for evidence, draft submission template, list of key witnesses, and requests from organisations to brief the committee on the bill. Um, can I then ask members if they could page, turn to page one hundred nine and the submission template? Members, the submission template will not be used in this specific word format, as the committee team are working closely with the assembly engagement and comms at present to finalise an electronic version using a, a platform called Citizen Space, which has been successful for a number of different projects within the Assembly, also as, also as an alternative, a more accessible version of this word template is being prepared. Can I ask members, are they agree, can they agree the contents of the submission template or do they have any comments on that? I know we're tight for time, Chair. Go ahead, Kelly, it's okay. <laughs> I was just going to say 4C, um, given the discussion the other day, I'm just wondering if 4C needs to be expanded slightly. Um, I don't know, this is about the, the local breweries. Okay, um, we sure. can look at that, so we can. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I've just moved the... You've just moved my screen again on me. That's all right. <laughs> okay, we'll have a look at that. That's fine. And there's another one at 5G, and I'm not sure if I've picked this up correctly. So permitting young people to attend an awards ceremony and sporting club one night per calendar year until 11pm. I thought that there was a mention by one of the officials that, that one of, it was one event as opposed to one night, and it was more than one night that it could take place over a period of nights. Because the question that we had before was, if you have... A sporting club and you've got a male team and a female team does that mean that the male team gets or the, you know which one do you pick to have that so I didn't think that was one night I thought it was one event so you can have your awards ceremony but it might take over a few nights 
double check on. Okay, we'll double check those, Kelly. That's okay. That's fine. Um, I, we've lost your screen here. It's a minute. Hold on, that's what I'm just saying. We've lost your screen here, so I can't see if Sinead or Mark want to speak on any of that part. So if you even put your hand up, so are we about my? I can see you, but I can't see your the, whether you want to speak or not. No, neither of you want to speak. Sorry, Chair, I'm just I'm just at a loss. What, what are we actually talking about here? Um, what we're talking about is that it's just to agree the submission template. At the minute, we're looking at, at we, because we're now at committee stage, um, we need to agree certain things to get that out into the public. Um, so it's the, just the template we're having to agree here at the moment. That's the first one at page 109 of your pack. Can you hear me, Sinead? Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to get it up here. You're all right. It's just that we need to put out a call for evidence. We need to do certain things in order for us to start to progress committee stage. So we need to agree the wording, our, our, the wording and how we're going to do that. So that's all this, this briefing is about right now, is just to agree those so we can, get, we can start asking for people to give us evidence. Yeah, no, that's, I'm with you now, that's 100%, yeah. No problem. All right, so, well, 4C and 5G of that that Kelly brought up, we'll just get a bit more information yeah. and we can get that agreed um, either via email or whatever if we're under time pressures. Then, members, can I ask you then to go to page 118, which is the key witnesses at this stage. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, and other organisations may come along in the course of this that want to brief us. So can I get a, a, some sort of agreement there around that as well, at page 118? Yeah. Just ask for yep, the go ahead, Rob. Chair, uh, in terms of, uh, are these... Uh, organizations that have asked to be or are they organizations that are on the list too we think they are interested is no these these are they're a mixture of both mixture so they are they're a bit of a mixture of both we will have some people who have written to us and then there's others that we know will we that will be part of our decision making oh, oh, okay but it's uh, not exhaustive there will be others and, and uh, John's just reminded me here, it's based on the, the last um, call for evidence and okay. the people that replied then, so that it's kind of based on that. Okay, but it wouldn't exclude other organisations that uh, will have... Uh, Absolutely not. We will get more, will come okay. through. I, you, you will be amazed at the amount that are now going to come through once this I'm um, sure. comes uh, live. Are there four main churches there in some way or other? Uh, I have I no can, idea. I know the Irish Council of Churches there. Church, Bishop's um, Conference. Irish Council of Churches. So, and no doubt they will. Um, and, and, and that would not preclude other churches no, or uh, youth organisations mm -hmm. who, yeah. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> that, I know, Mark, you wanted to ask something? I will appreciate sharing my you clarified that's not an exhaustive list, but I didn't know uh, was was now the time or place to suggest any additions to it. I was just having a, a quick glance over there. I think it would be certainly wise or prudent to have representatives of the taxi industry and as well because they play such a pivotal role in getting people home. So uh, we, we need to be, I suppose, cognizant of, of their capacity to cope with the proposed changes. No, absolutely. Uh, that, yeah, they should be part of that as well. And just to let you know that requests from Drumbo Park, 
Northern Ireland Retail Consortium and the Northern Irish Brewery and Independent Pub Association um, have asked to actually come and, and brief the committee. And also, um, I've just forwarded on to Sean, I got another email from the Northern Ireland Federation of Clubs as well, um, who've also asked to come and brief the committee. Um, so uh, it's just to let you know that as well, there will be people will come through that will want to brief the committee on this as we go go through. So I'm just all we're asking just at this stage is that you uh, can approve that list, albeit it's not certainly not exhaustive. Kelly, do you want to? I was just going to say it was following on what Mark has said there about the taxi industry. I believe within the Department of Infrastructure there's a nighttime economy. Um, oh group that sort of talks about transport you know and, and getting people safely home and it might be interesting it's a bit like we have the pha and that i also noticed food and i and that but food and drink as we know anybody who wants to 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 you know link into this can but i think food and drink and i would be another one that would be important to get into this too okay that's yeah. fine so members are clear with what the direction and, and why that list is there as well yeah. um so i just suppose i want to um Ask the members then, I just mentioned you there about Drumbo Park, Northern Ireland Retail Consortium, Northern Ireland Irish Brewery and Independent Pub Association, as well as the Northern Ireland Federation of Clubs have asked already now um, to, wit to come in as, as witnesses and to brief the committee. Can I ask the committee, are they content to receive briefings from them? So we need to, we will start yes. to receive these now um, so we can get that organised. Um, so that's fair enough. That's okay. So members all okay with uh, that part of the agenda? Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yep, good stuff. Okay. Then we're going to move on then, members. This is going to take a little while and you're going to have to bear with us on it, but we're going to move on to agenda item seven, which is the clause by clause scrutiny of the pensions bill. You've been provided with papers at page 132 and a departmental reply to committee queries from the meeting of the 22nd is at page 208 of your meeting pack. And can inform members that the committee will today commence the formal clause by clause of the pension schemes bill with Jerry McCann and Doreen Roy and, uh, from the department and Paul Stitt from the bill office is also joining us via Starleaf. So we'll just wait here on Jerry and Doreen. Which is fine, we've made them wait outside for I don't know how long this morning. I'll let you get seated. And you are both very welcome. Thank you very much. And you have been around a very long time, so you know exactly the way that we, we do the, the clause by clause. So I think without further ado, um, if it's okay with you, we'll just get started then straight away. And we'll go then, members, if you can go then directly to clause one, Master Trust Schemes definition. And can I ask, member, uh, can I ask, is the committee content with clause one as drafted? Agreed. Agreed. Okay, then, members, I need to then read into the record that the committee is content with clause one as drafted. Um, all agreed? Agreed. Okay, clause number two, relevant public service pension schemes. Can I ask, is the committee content with clause two as drafted? Agreed. Content. Okay, then I'll read into the record that the committee is content with clause two as drafted. I'll move on to clause three, which is prohibition on operating a scheme unless authorised. And can I ask, is the committee content with clause three as drafted? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, then I read then that the committee is content with clause three as drafted. I'll move on to clause four, application for authorisation. Can I ask, is the committee content with clause four as drafted? Agreed. 
Agreed, members? Okay, I'll read then that the committee is content with clause four as drafted. Clause five, decision on application. Can I ask, is the committee content with clause five as drafted? Agreed. Agreed, members? Agreed? Need to hear you? Great. Okay, then I'll read that the committee is content with clause five as drafted. Then we'll move on to clause six, referral to tribunal of refusal to grant authorisation. Can I ask, is the committee with content with clause six as drafted? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Then I'll read that the committee <coughs> is content with clause six as drafted. Clause seven, fit and proper person requirement. Can I ask, is the committee content with clause seven as drafted? Agreed. Agreed, thank you. Then I'll read that the committee is content with clause seven as drafted. Clause eight, financial sustainability requirement. Again, ask the committee, are they content with clause eight as drafted? Agreed. Agreed, thank you. Then I'll read that the committee is content with clause eight as drafted. Clause nine, financial sustainability requirement. Business plan. Again, ask committee, are you content with clause nine as drafted? Agreed. Agreed. Then I read that the committee is content with clause nine as drafted. Clause 10, scheme funder requirements. Can I ask the committee, are you content with clause 10 as drafted? Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. And then I'll read the committee is content with clause 10 as drafted. Clause 11, systems and processes requirements. And can I ask the committee, are you content with clause 11 as drafted? Agreed. Thank you, all agreed. Then I'll uh, indicate that the committee is content with clause 11 as drafted. Clause 12 then, continuity strategy requirement. Are the committee content with clause 12 as drafted? Agreed. Agreed, all agreed. Thank you, then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 12 as drafted. Clause 11, list of authorised schemes, and again ask, is the committee content with, or sorry, clause 13, did I say 11 there? Apologies. <laughs> clause 13, list of authorised schemes. Can I ask, is the committee uh, content with clause 13 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 13 as drafted. We'll move on to clause 14, requirement to submit annual accounts, and ask is the committee agree or content with clause 14 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 14 as drafted. Um, clause 15 requirement to submit supervisory return. So can I ask the committee, are they content with clause 15 as drafted? Agreed. Agreed, all agreed. Then I indicate that the committee is content with clause 15 as drafted. Clause 16, duty to notify regulator of significant events. Can I ask the committee, are they content with clause 16 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed, thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 16 as drafted. We'll move on then to clause 17, fixed penalty notice for failure to comply with requests for information. And ask again, is the committee content with clause 17 as drafted? Agreed. Agreed, all agreed, thank you. I'll then indicate that the committee is content with clause 17 as drafted. Moving on to clause 18, escalating penalty notice for failure to comply with requests for information and ask the committee, are they content with clause 18 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. I'll then indicate that the committee is content with clause 18 as drafted. Clause 19, withdrawal of authorisation. 
and ask the committee again, are they content with clause 19 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed, members? Let me hear from you. Agreed. Thank agreed. you. The member uh, all agreed then, and I in the, le, indicate then that the committee is content with clause 19 as drafted. Agreed. I get this approved now. Clause 20, triggering event duties of trustees. Um, can I ask, is the committee content with clause 20 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed, thank you. Then I'll indicate that this committee is content with clause 20 as drafted. Then 21, clause 21, triggering events. Is the committee content with clause 21 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed, thank you. And then indicate that the committee is content with clause 21 as drafted. Clause 22. Notification requirements. Is the committee content with clause 22 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. And I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 22 as drafted. Clause 23, continuity options. Is the committee content with clause 23 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 23 as drafted. Clause 24, continuity option 1, transfer out and winding up, and ask then, is the committee content with clause 24 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 24 as drafted. Clause 25, continuity option 2, resolving triggering event, and ask the committee, are you content with clause 25 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 25 as drafted. Clause 26, approval of implementation strategy. And can I ask, is the committee content with clause 26 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed? Yep. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 26 as drafted. Clause 27, uh, content of implementation strategy. It's not right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Is the committee content that clause 27, with clause 27, is drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Let me hear you. Agreed. Thank you. Um, then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 27 as drafted. Clause 28, duty to pursue continuity option. Can I ask the committee, are you content with clause 28 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I will indicate that the committee is content with clause 28 as drafted. Clause 29, prohibition on winding up except in accordance with continuity option 1. Can I ask, is the committee content with clause 29 as drafted? Agreed. Agreed. Thank you very much. All agreed. And indicate that the committee is content with clause 29 as drafted. Clause 30, periodic reporting requirement. Can I ask, is the committee content with clause 30 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I will indicate that the committee is content with clause 30 as drafted. Was not what I was on, Doreen? Yep. Yes? Yep. Okay. Clause 31 and schedule one pause orders. Can I ask, is the committee content with clause 31 as drafted? Yes. Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 31 as drafted. Clause 32, your prohibition on new employers during triggering event period. And I ask, are the committee content with clause 32 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed, thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 32 as drafted. 
Clause 33, prohibition on licensing charges, etc., during triggering event period. And then again, ask is the committee content for Clause 33 is drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then we'll indicate that the committee is content with Clause 33 as drafted. Clause 34, when it became clear that authorisation not to be withdrawn. So can I ask then, is the committee content with Clause 34 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Um, then I will indicate that the committee is content with Clause 34 as drafted. Clause 35, when a decision to withdraw authorisation becomes final. Again, can I ask, is the committee content with Clause 35 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then um, we'll indicate that the committee is content with Clause 35 as drafted. Clause 36, fraud compensation. Are the committee content with Clause 36 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with Clause 36 as drafted. Clause 37 in Schedule 2, Master Trust in Operational Commencement, Transitional Provision. Can I ask the committee again, are you content with Clause 37 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank agreed. you. And I'll indicate that the committee is content with Clause 37 as drafted. Clause 38 in Schedule 3, Minor and Consequential Amendments. Can I ask, are, is the committee content with Clause 38 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. And I'll indicate that the, this committee is content with Clause 38 as drafted. Clause 39, Interpretation of Part 1. Um, can I ask our members content with Clause 39 as drafted? Agreed. Thank you. All agreed then. And indicate that the committee is content with Clause 39 as drafted. Clause 40, Regulations Modifying Application of Part 1. Again, I'll ask the committee, are you content with Clause 40 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with Clause 40 as drafted. Clause 41, Power to Override Contract Terms. Can I ask the committee, are you content with Clause 41 as drafted? Agreed. agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then I'll indicate that the committee is content with Clause 41 as drafted. Clause 42, Regulations General Provisions. Again, ask the committee, are you content with Clause 42 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed. Thank you. Then we'll indicate that the committee is content with Clause 42 as drafted. Clause 43, General Interpretation. Is the committee content with Clause 43 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed, thank you. And we'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 43 as drafted. Clause 44, commencement. Um, is the committee content with clause 44 as drafted? Agreed. Okay. Uh, sorry, Mark, did you want to come in? Content. Content, okay. Thank you. Um, then I, I will, uh, will indicate then that the committee is content with clause 44 as drafted. Wasn't that what we were on? Yes. 44? Yes. Yeah, okay. Then, oh my goodness, we're nearly there. Clause 45 is the short title. Can I then ask the committee, are you content with clause 45 as drafted? Agreed. All agreed, thank you. Then um, we'll indicate that the committee is content with clause 45 as drafted. Okay, that concludes the committee clause by clause scrutiny of the bill, a draft committee report on the bill 
will be brought back to the committee for agreement in the coming weeks. So again, thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Dory. Thank you. Sorry to keep you waiting so long, but thank you very much. Okay. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you for your letters as well. Yeah. Should be able to get through everything. Okay. All right, members, um, we're back on track again. So can we move then to agenda, agenda item number eight, which is SL1, the Personal Independence Payment Amendment Regulations Northern Ireland 2020. Um, you'll find this SL1 at page 213 of your meeting packs. The purpose of the proposed rule is to amend... What, what number was that? Just... Agenda item eight, sorry, Fra, at page 213. Okay. I have a huge concern about this, Chair, and like to maybe discuss it with the members of the committee over yeah. okay. at least about 30 minutes. Give <laughs> <laughs> me on your own. <laughs> no, that's okay. um, have you concerns around it? No. Have anybody concerns around it? Oh, no, everybody's happy then with it. Okay. <clears throat> that's all right then. So are you content for the department to proceed to make um, this rule, the SL1? Um, personal Independence Payment American Regulations North End 2020. All content? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You put me off my stride there. Agenda item nine, which is the SL1, the Registration of Club Accounts Regulations Northern Ireland 2020. This SL1 is at 219 year packs. Um, these regulations will revoke the registration of Club Accounts Regulations Northern Ireland 1997 and set out the new requirements in relation to the keeping and auditing examination of the club's financial records and accounts in recognition of the efforts of clubs to improve their accounting procedures. The regulations provide easements um, to the accounting requirements imposed on clubs. Um, I uh, would maybe like a little bit more information on that myself. I know from um, meeting with some clubs um, about the, the and they absolutely agree accounting has to be take place and they agree with that 100%. And this might actually answer it, but I would like the department to come in and just ask answer a couple of questions uh, because we have clubs of various various sizes and varying yeah. sizes and um, the expense that the accounting costs. The bigger clubs have no problems with that at all because they make plenty of money, but some of the smaller ones, it causes some financial difficulty, albeit they understand it has to be done. So just I want to know just where those easements lie. So if the members are in agreement, can yeah. we ask it to come in and brief us on that? Is that okay? Yeah. Yep. And it's probably something similar, maybe. I yes, don't know. with the next one. Yeah, the next one. And so can I then ask you to go to agenda item 10, which is SL1, Licensing and Res Re Registration of Clubs Amendment <coughs> Act, Northern Ireland 2011, Commencement Number 6 Order, Northern Ireland 2020. You'll find this SL1 at page 225. Um, this order will bring into effect the provisions within Section 12 of the Act, which makes amendments to Article 40 of the Registration of Clubs Northern Ireland Order 1996. Article 40 sets out the accounting requirements placed on private members' clubs, which supply, supply alcoholic drinks to members and their guests. Can I ask again, members, would they be content that we got a, a brief on that yes, before we agree that? Okay. Yeah. Then we'll move on then to agenda item 11, which is uh, now on the statutory rules. So it's SR 2020-226, the Universal Credit Earned Income Amendment Regulations, Northern Ireland 2020. Members, you'll find this at page 228 of your meeting pack. Can I just then ask, have any members of any objections to this rule? Not an objection. No, 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 no objections? Okay. Then I'll put the following question that the Committee for Communities has considered SR 2020 226 
I read that again. Yeah. That the Committee for Communities has considered SR 2020-226, the Universal Credit Earned Income Amendment Regulations, Northern Ireland 2020, and subject to the Examiner of Statute Rules report, has no objection to the rule. Okay, members, we'll move on then to Agenda Item 12, yeah. which is SR 2020-227, the Social Security Coronavirus Prisoners Amendment Regulations, Northern Ireland 2020. Members, you'll find a copy of this at page 238 of your meeting pack. Can I ask, have members any objections to this rule? No. No objections? Okay, thank you. Then I will put the following question that the Committee for Communities has considered SR 2020-227, the Social Security Coronavirus Prisoners Amendment Regulations, Northern Ireland 2020, and subject to the examiner of Strategy Rules Report, has no objections to the rule. Okay, members, we're going to move on then to agenda item 13, which is SR 2020-231, the licensing designation of outdoor stadia regulations, Northern Ireland 2020. You'll find a copy of this rule at page 246 of your meeting pack. Can I ask if members any objections to this rule? No. No objections? Okay, thank you. Then we'll put the following question that the Committee for Communities has considered SR 2020-231, the licensing designation of outdoor stadia regulations Northern Ireland 2020 and subject to the examiner of statutory rules report has no objections to the rule. No. Okay, members, thank you. We're going to then move on to agenda item 14, which is correspondence. Um, you'll find your correspondence memo at page 252 of your meeting pack. Um, can I just draw a couple of things to attention? Mm -hmm. Firstly, uh, page 360, a request from Ulster Rugby to brief the committee on the impact of COVID-19 on other issues. Can I ask members, are they content, are they content yeah. to invite Ulster Rugby yeah. Yeah. to come in to yeah. brief us for yeah. future meetings? That mm -hmm. one's the first one. Are members content with that? Yes. Okay. Then can I draw your attention to page 216, uh, which is a request from an, an individual to brief members after a future ministerial briefing on the Charity Commission and the Court of Appeal Judgment for Charity Releg regulations Northern Ireland. Can I just advise members that the decision was taken to date on other such individual correspondence related to Charity Commission has been that it is not within the remit of the committee to engage on the on the range of individual cases brought to its, to, brought to, brought to its attention. Uh, can I propose that the committee continue with that approach at least until we have heard from the Minister on her proposed way forward for the Charity Commission and for <coughs> dealing with these legacy issues? Can I ask our members content that we yes. continue um, along those lines? Yes, all yes. content with that? Yes. Okay. Sure. Can I just come in and, and, and absolutely I agree with what you're, you're laying out there and I want to declare an interest as charity trustee, but you know, I think it's important that we as a committee do delve into these issues um, that have been raised in respect of the Charities Commission. Yeah. I think it's also important that we hear all concerned, that includes the Department and the Charities Commission, but um, it is of vital importance that we as a committee, and I do appreciate that we're extremely, extremely busy, but that we do um, delve into this as soon as is practically possible. Yeah, and I know Andy, it has been something you've brought up several yeah. times. Um, so you have in committee, and um, I, I think we need to hear from the minister first. Uh, so we do, but it has been a case within committee that we did, didn't deal with individual cases. I mean, that's not to say that a collective group yeah. um, couldn't come and, and brief the committee um, at some stage. Um, Fred, do you want to comment on that? Sure, it's, it's, it's just on that. But I think we all get uh, quite a number of uh, of queries or 
complaints or whatever about the, the thing and the, 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 you obviously always have to be careful about the, the individual isn't it rather talking about the thing but I, I don't know why you've you've taken it matter if it's to do with the department or, or the individual in the department if you go there and you're not uh, getting any satisfaction within the department then individually take it to the minister when 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 i think that, i think a lot of these things have been going on for some time so they yeah. have and i can understand people's frustration yeah. absolutely yeah. i can no, understand no, no it i get it no um but we need to hear from the minister first yeah. but uh, i mean as Correct. i say we can't deal with individual matters as a committee that's just not what we do yeah. but that's not to say that there can't be a collective yeah. um you know uh, or you know uh, that could come in front of the committee i'm not ruling that out by any means but it's just the individual matters is a bit more difficult for us robin did you yeah, want to comment on yeah, that i think chair this one is slightly different and he says that he has a, a successful personal litigants i don't know what that means really in 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 the case but he's actually not asking to come at the moment he's asking to come at a stage after the minister's proposals have been given to the committee. Mm -hmm. He's not actually asking to come at this moment in time. But maybe, Chair, uh, and I understand the point you're making, it might be worthwhile asking him to make a written submission. He's obviously a very articulate uh, yeah. individual. Mm. might be worth asking him to make okay. a written submission. Okay, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. We, we can do that if members are agreed with that. Yeah? Okay. All right, that's all I have to highlight. So I'm going to ask then members under correspondence, first of all in the room, is there anybody in the room who wants to highlight anything, Kelly? I was just going to say on 329, the major capital um, projects piece um, doesn't highlight our department so much, but it would be useful just to ask the minister um, how the recommendations are being implemented in her department. Okay, yeah. we can do that, absolutely. Okay, um, Sinead or Mark, have you anything under correspondence you want to raise? No? No. no All right, that's great. Thank you. Okay, members. Then um, we then can we agree then the correspondence memo, other than any amendments we've made here in committee. Okay. Agreed. Um, agenda item fifteen then is our forward work program. Members at our meeting next week on the twelfth of November, where we will be briefed by the department on poli policy proposals for a gambling bill. We'll also be briefed by the NI Retail Consortium on the proposed changes to alcohol licensing. And we'll also be briefed by the Ulster Orchestra on the impact of COVID-19 on, on the arts sector. So our members, um, any comments? Are they content then to yeah. note agenda item 15? Yeah. Content, Kelly? Can, can I just ask just, I have 15, sorry, is any other business? Um, do I'll come to that in a minute. Okay, no, so are we content with agenda item 15? Yeah. Yes. Okay, thank you. Then we have got uh, agenda yeah. item 16, which is AOB, and Alex and Kelly, you've both indicated to come in. Alex, do you want to go ahead first? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, um, Chair, I'm new to the committee, so I don't know if this issue has been raised with you or not. Um, it's about the Model Engineering Society, which runs a, a train, a, a small train, in the Ulster Transport Museum. And um, they've been asked to leave the site. Um, they've been there for 50 years, and they're part of that institution. And uh, anyone who's ever been to the place will probably see that. And they are not being given any reason as to why they have to leave the site. Um, they're not being given any help or support. Um, it's it's going to cost thousands and thousands of pounds to remove that track. Um, and 
the Transport Museum just are not giving any information to elected representatives either as to why. So um, as museums comes under this, and it's not just a constituency issue, it's because everybody right across has been to this, you know, um, I was wondering would there be a, a chance or a possibility that we could maybe bring the Model Engineering Society up to hear what's going on and maybe somebody from the museum sector, um, Catherine Thompson maybe, to come up and advise what they've got planned for this, this site or, and why they want them removed, um, what's really going on, because yeah, it's quite a big issue. We did bring this, was brought up in committee way back when, back at the beginning sort of committee, I think I brought it up, um, because I had been contacted, because you're absolutely right, it may be in your, your yeah. constituency, but it certainly affects people right across Northern Ireland who, who have been part of this for 50 years, as you say. This has been there, and I think it is the way they've been treated. Um, we're only hearing their side of it. We haven't heard the other side of it. Um, after 50 years of being there and a lot of history, and part of that sort of that transport history of Northern Ireland, um, I think we they do deserve an explanation, certainly from whoever is in charge of museums, um, to, to give us that explanation. I know the Minister had said that she couldn't intervene on, on operational matters, and that's perfectly understandable, I know that, um, but she would try, and she did. Um, but obviously there's there's other plans for the Ulster Transport Museum at Cultura. I don't know what they are, um, but maybe they're planning and changing that to a different type of musician, uh, musician, museum. Who knows? So I think it would be good for us to get an update anyway on the future of museums. Kathy, did you, or sorry, Kelly, did you? I want was just going to gonna say, just kind of come in on that. Um, like Alex, I've been talking to the the model train people, and do you know what? It is the folk and transport museum, so it is difficult for me to understand why they would be moving it on. Um, if there are internal issues with the operation of it, that's up to them. But there are ways of getting getting around that. Just to say. Um, only this morning I have just agreed a meeting at long last after a number of months with um, museums and galleries to discuss it. Um, so I, I just declare an interest to say that I've finally got a meeting to discuss what's happening and what their plans are. Uh, but I think you're right. Um, it is a, a national um, museum. Um, it does come within this remit and it would be good to find out. I know that, for instance, when the shop mobility was moved from Victoria Centre, that there was compensation provided. There doesn't seem to be anything for these guys, even though they've laid tracks. It's cost them a lot of money to put that in there. They have options and ideas, but none of them seem to be being considered at all. So it would be good to hear what's happened. I know I will have a meeting with the guys just to, to see what's happened. I think as a committee it would be useful. I think it would be useful to have a, a actually to hear a, across all of our museum sites. You know, are there plans for changes? Yeah. Are they moving it out of? You know, I, I don't know what what they're doing with the museum at Cultura, um, but um, I, I I do, and I'd say I've only heard one side of the argument here, but I I, yeah. I do think they've been treated rather shabbily um, uh, uh, over this whole thing. So uh, if members are agreed, then we could we could we look at that at getting a briefing then from museums. Yeah, okay. Kelly, did you want to bring up something else? Yes, I was. Um, the Minister had very kindly had mentioned before about Job Start was due to start in November. Um, it hasn't started just yet, okay. but the committee hasn't had details about Job Start, who can apply for it. I know that the Minister has been quite uh, generous in saying that it will include people with disabilities. I'm very keen to find out um, when that um, is coming out and, and when it's. Sorry? Yeah, end of this month. I, yeah, but we just don't have the detail yet on that as a committee. Can we then, we, we begin 10, that we get a written briefing? Were we, sorry.
Were we at not a reply? We've already oh. asked for that. Sorry, Sean, just tell me we have already asked for it. Well, if we could maybe chase that up again, um, as we have already asked for it, that we get that sooner rather than later. So when members are brief, because we know what happens as soon as these things open, our officers are inundated. And if we don't have the information, um, exactly. it's a bit difficult to advise people on their way forward if we don't know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's glad you brought that mm. up as well. Uh, okay, members, any other business? What about Mark or Sinead, if he's anything you want to bring up? No, I'm fine, Chair. Thank you. Good stuff. Okay, thank you. We have raced through that, <laughs> given the fact that we were so behind earlier. Um, so that's good. We'll move on then to agenda item 17, which is date, time and location of our next meeting. So members, our next meeting will take place here in room 29 next Thursday, 12th of November at 10am. So thank you again. Thank you. It's a medical card.